Hello, and welcome to The Gardens, located in sunny The Gardens is one of the largest combined zoological habitat and theme parks in the world. With over 72 thrilling attractions and nearly 11,000 animals in our care, we know that every member of your family will find something incredible each time you visit. But that's just the start of your adventure. To really see what the park has to offer, I'll turn you over to our top two guides. Take it away, boys. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of K. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name's Mitchell, the surly one. Welcome to a new episode of ThoughtSpeak, as I mentioned. Yeah, uh, back to the uh, norm of the series. No no yeah. more 300 pagers. It feels kind of cold and lonely here, too. I mean, without Nate. Oh, yeah, you know, um, it, it's back to just the two of us. Um, if if I have it within my power, I, I would get him back for the next book because uh, I know The Escape is a fantastic one. I, I've even started reading it since we just finished The Unknown. Yeah, I mean, uh, Nate was a good addition, and I think the fans agreed. We had many an email and comment about how Nate was just on point. Most people were saying they wish he just would have talked more. I think he was a little reserved at being his first podcast and all. Yeah, we had uh, we had some positive feedback on the Reddit channel um, and probably in the emails. I don't know. I didn't read those yet. But uh, mm-hmm. we'll be reading some of those Reddit comments towards the end of the show. Yeah, so it's a shame to not have him. Maybe we will incorporate a full-time third guest host who will then become a normal host at some point. Um, and then not, a not, host body. Yeah, just not in the not in the plans yet. Who knows? We'll see. Cross your fingers and hope hope for Nate for the escape. <laughs> yeah, keep sending us emails and Reddit comments. We can show Nate and maybe he'll join full time and, and keep, you know catch up to us. And read you up you know, uh, as of right now, um, the, the Andalite Chronicles has been online for like five days, I think, at the time we're recording this. And... Um, <laughs> Nate has not yet listened to the episode that he was in with us. Whoa. Five days after the fact. I can see that. It's a long episode to hear a conversation that you've already had. Yeah, yeah it's it's an undertaking, but, you know, I think if you're a, a real fan of the uh, series, and, you know, a fan of you and I, you'll, you'll make time. You'll figure it out. In contrast to Nate, I've listened to the episode seven times up until this point. Wow, dude, you're uh, hardcore. You're you're playing Thought Speak podcast on expert mode. <laughs> I don't mean to, but between editing the stupid thing and then listening to it overall to make sure it's all good, uh, I really had no say in the matter. Although I will say, I did listen to it a full time after all of that, just because I meant to listen to the, to I meant to listen to our new opening and everything. And I just got caught up in the episode. So, oh yeah, yeah, the the new openings and uh, segues are. So hypnotic. It's, it's yeah, like what we're you, being uh, transported through a uh, uh, safari. <laughs> yeah, what you, on the air? I haven't, I haven't really asked you about them yet. Have you? I haven't heard them. <laughs> I just I plug my ears every time I, I listen to the Andalite Chronicles episode. <sighs> Shut up. No, no, they they came out exactly as we'd imagined. Um, I wasn't kidding when I when I said it sounds exactly like you're on an African safari, except it's uh, obviously the gardens. And you know what? I showed that to my wife, and she just did not get it because she hasn't read the books. 
Yeah. So that's one possible downside of it. <laughs> why do you, what do you have? Well, it's not downside because anyone listening to these discussions and reviews have read the books. So I don't know, dude, there's probably like a 80 year old grandma somewhere who's just, just getting into like podcasting because her hip granddaughter showed her how to use the computer and the Weber net. And uh, she, <laughs> she just searching for random things. I want to hear a podcast about the dolphins. And she ends up listening to our review of, uh, uh, the message <laughs> and then she just keeps on with the series just because she yeah yeah it keeps going oh they do a new animal every week <laughs> we sound we sound like her nephew or something so she feels bad if she doesn't listen to the newest episode <laughs> that would be amazing that'd be great send us an email if you can figure that out dolores magda um, <laughs> magda <laughs> yeah i like how they turned out and it seems like uh, i haven't gotten a ton of feedback on it from the fans uh, but what I have gotten back has been pretty positive. So, yeah, especially I like how it fits. The only the only negative comment we got was uh, it, it kind of I can see how we introduced it with the Andalite Chronicles. And that's the book that has least to do with the gardens. Or right. Yeah, like it's that. the furthest removed from the gardens. That's a very good point. That is something we did not think about. But luckily, you have just listened to it. Uh, the opening just now. And this book has a ton to do with the gardens, so it fits right in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very good point. You know what? This this is, would have been a better episode to introduce the new intro, really. I just I just, I just, just felt like the Andalite Chronicles was a big deal. It was a big pivot point in our podcast, and so I, I wanted to change it up. So, deal with it. Anyway, speaking of which, you will hear more of that, more of those segues, since this will be the first episode that we have trivia, we have emails, and we've done a segue for every single section of our podcast now. So Ooh, you'll be hearing teasing the, full the segues. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> You're like a segue salesman. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, there there is actually interesting trivia for our podcast. There was probably another minute and a half of the opening that I cut out just to make it shorter. So we had a shorter of an opening. Hey, but save that for the trivia section, pal. Trivia section for the book. This is trivia for the podcast. <laughs> but the uh, the original opening went into, like, Cassie's mom and talking about different parts of the park and behind-the-scenes stores and everything. He's it so was, meta. It was just too long. That's not what meta means. You Shut don't up. understand what meta means. Um, it was just, it was just way too long. So, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get past that. That's, that's our new stuff. We hope you enjoy it. Keep sending us those email and comments on Reddit telling us, uh, if you like them, if you hate them, uh, we're definitely going to mix it up and change the intros and segues every once in a while to me, to be directly interwoven into the book series. Right. Yeah. And you know what? The, uh, podcast is doing pretty well. Uh, our Andalite Chronicles episode has done, probably the best so far out of any you know first uh release episode it's weird to think that there's hundreds and hundreds of people out there who we haven't heard from who are just listening every week and we just got a bunch of new people uh with our last episode well you know we we do make it pretty difficult to get a hold of us we've only got a facebook page a reddit channel we keep promoting an email address we keep throwing out there a twitter handle I mean, we, we're we just really, it... we're really hidden. <laughs> we make it really hard for the fans, you know? We are the hidden. Speaking of Twitter. Yes, speak of Twitter in 140 characters or less. No, <laughs> we have had some interesting developments on Twitter. I know Twitter, I know Twitter was made to help you interact with people in a quick fashion that you can, you know, type something off and forget about it. Uh, and it's led to a lot of people interacting with celebrities and 
you know, blah, 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 people like that, uh, presidents even. And it's that's all interesting, good, whatever. But over the past couple of weeks, we here at ThoughtSpeak headquarters uh, have had some very interesting tweets uh, retweeted and tweeted at us uh, from none other than Michael Grant and Catherine Applegate. Um, Kay Applegate, she just, or Catherine Applegate, she just uh, retweeted a mention of us I think like last week or something. Yeah, that, that was a, a big small deal one. A small one. Yeah, nothing crazy. She didn't listen to an episode or anything, as far as I know. Thank goodness. Um, but <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna put out her own podcast now, which is a review of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be well, amazing. I think the review of episode one wasn't spot on. <laughs> oh, the one where we gave her five out of five. Yeah, it wasn't good enough for her. She's on a yeah. scale of ten. Yep. Uh, no, but that was really cool. I mean, we have, you know, we're interacting with the authors of the books. I mean, these are our childhood heroes. No matter what we say about certain characters or certain books or how much we, you know, lament certain aspects of the series, it was a big deal to even get an offhanded retweet from the author of a book series that defined my childhood. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely awesome to, you know, just know that they're aware of us. And I, I just pray to Jehovah that they're not actually listening to these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that and the marketing team of Scholastic. They're going to, like, sue us. <laughs> oh, no, the, no. You, they're, they're not even... You, they're not listening to our episodes. They're not even reading the books that they're doing the artwork for. I'm sure a couple interns at this point have read, like, the first three books. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, ten years after the series. I <laughs> imagine Scholastic still has the same marketing team. That They're, like, all old, old, like, 90-year-olds now. <laughs> they're still doing the covers and not re- researching the books at all. Yep. No, you know, that's... By the way, that's a trivia thing um, for later in this book. That, that recurring joke of ours is going to make a comeback. Really? Yes. Hmm. We, uh, we will be making fun of the uh, marketing team. Good. I love when we do that. I do, too. Um, um, so, yeah, that's all pretty exciting stuff. Um, and it's an exciting book that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be both a podcaster and a listener of a podcast dedicated to Animorphs. I think we're, I'm not saying we're shaking anything up, but we're causing some discussion that wasn't there before. Is that fair to say? Uh I don't know, dude. Are you, like, reading this in newspapers, or what? No, I'm saying, like, you know, the Reddit community, there's forums, you know. We're bringing more to the discussion of Animorphs, where, you know, discussion of Animorphs in general was starting to peter off there for a bit. Uh, yeah, I I suppose so. I don't know. I guess we're doing a pretty in-depth talk, but I think that's also just because you and I are really narcissistic, and we just love talking. Um, Especially about things that, that interest us, and boy, does Animorphs get us talking. Yeah. So, okay. Fair enough. We're done talking about ourselves and how awesome our podcast is doing. And oh, how, so awesome. How amazing it is that you even have a chance to listen to us right My now. My life is so good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our discussion of book number 14, The Unknown. We are literally diving into the unknown. Let's go! This section of the park houses one of the most extensive research libraries devoted to animal biology on the West Coast. Your guides will provide a thorough summary of any book that might catch your eye. Careful though, once you get them started, they'll never want to stop. As I said, today we are talking about The Unknown, book number 14, 
in the Animorphs book series, in case you were confused on that point. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and read in the back, and then we will jump into the cover art and discuss how awesome it is <clears throat> and not awkward at all. <laughs> There's a new rumor in town. Someone has discovered an item that proves life on other planets exists, and they've been hiding it on a base called Zone 91, the most secret place on Earth. Cassie, the other Animorphs, and Axe, because he's still not an Animorph, <laughs> already know about life on other planets too well. They also realize the Yerks will try to access Zone 91 to find out if what's there will threaten their mission. So the Animorphs decide to pay Zone 91 and the Yerks a little visit. But what they discover is not at all what they expect. No, Axe doesn't become an uh, official Animorph until Book 18. Everyone knows that. He's already become an official Animorph like 17 times. No. <laughs> the um, the actual logline for this book is never underestimate the power of a morph. I know. Which is and... proven in this book somehow. <laughs> uh, a little bit, maybe. Not yeah, really. Kind of. Yeah. I guess. Um, this is a book that, by the way, if you carry around in public, you're going to get made fun of for having this with you. It's a bad-looking book. <laughs> it's. I don't know what's worse. The ugly, just green, blobby, cloudy, blobby, green, or the, the girl turning into a horse on the front. <laughs> it's just not... I mean, the morphs aren't supposed to be attractive. I get that. But they could have picked a different a different way of her holding herself or, you know, maybe not elongate the face right away. So it looks super awkward and just, yes, you know what? That's the thing that the book covers don't do correctly is that morphing isn't this like perfectly symmetrical, you know, going from a to B it's always like bloom, your arm shrinks and then bloom, your, you know, beak bone pops out of your knee. Yeah. It's yeah. They, they, not to mention it's, this is Cassie doing it. She would do it in such a way that until the very last moment, she would look like a centaur. Or something. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I think she does that at one point. Uh, it might not have been in this book, but it might have been in another one. Yeah. So it's just not fair. It's, it's but definitely one of the as we continue to, to mention, the marketing team did not read these books. <laughs> I agree. And look, look at the inside cover for that purpose. It's Cassie running in a field as a horse when this entire book takes place in the desert. For the most part. Yeah, the drylands. Um, this could be, I mean, outside of her, uh, her farmland or something. But why? But why focus your inside artwork on that? I don't know. Sometimes the inside book? artwork is, like, spot on. And I think, like, you know, Catherine must have told them, like, make sure you get, you know, the picture of all the, the Animorphs in the elevator going up the building. You know, yeah. like, the iconic scenes. And then these ones, it's like they didn't even care. They're just like, screw it, here's a horse in the... Fields, or the, whatever. Or or the book with the uh or the book with the crocodile cover where it's like just Oh some yeah, it's outdoor the wrong crazy. Setting. <laughs> it's literally going against the grain of the book. It's plot. Yeah. Um, um so they they tend to screw up the covers. I I can't wait until they retcon uh Tobias in his uh model. That doesn't happen oh, by yeah. the way until like book forty something. Where they actually put the blonde-haired kid. They changed the Why does Tobias look different? (laughs) I'm sure some people thought that. I don't Uh, know. Well, anyway, uh, this is book 14. This is The Unknown. This is the first book I ever, as a child, as probably a fourth, maybe fifth grader at the time, I took one look at this when this came out, brand new, and said, you know, I'll skip this one. 
And I think that was right around the time where the internet was becoming a lot more of a thing and, you know, the, the message forums were existent. And I probably even went on the Animorphs, the actual Scholastics website forums, and I, I, I read a spoiler for the book. And that told me that, yeah, it's all right to skip this one because it, it doesn't add to the series. I'm not missing much. Well, it's not even, it's just a shame because if the marketing team had read this book, they could have at least made a cool cover and inside cover out of the concepts in this book. You could have done a lot with that. Certainly. This this book has a lot of fun scenes. And... Inside cover. Okay, you do the horse front where she's morphing into a horse. You do that however you want. Um, and just, you know, have the, the little cutout where you can see the inside cover, but it's the same image as the horse. Mm -hmm. uh, but the inside picture could have been the horse standing at a payphone with a, you know, phone to its head. That would have been awesome. That would have been cool, but that would In not have been Cassie. Desert. That would have been a different... You don't know that wasn't Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With all the time paradoxes in this book, she could that could have been Cassie with a yerk in her head. Sure, sure. So you want to get into this? Shall, shall we actually begin talking about the book? I don't know. It's pretty unknown to me how this episode will turn out. Uh, well, I can tell you how it starts, uh, as it always does, with a recap chapter. And you know what? They're starting to do this. They've got this recap format kind of nailed now to where they... They do it in one chapter, and it's not such a exposition dump as it is just a, you know, this is who I am, this is our team, and we fight the Yerks. And then it kind of goes into, like, what the, uh, the, the setup of this first scene is going to be. And in this case, it happens to be, you know, Rachel and Cassie chilling out. I think they're at Cassie's place, and, you know, Rachel's giving Cassie shit about her clothes again, as she always does. And <laughs> we have Cassie's dad enter the scene, and... It's always good when we get a little bit more of uh, the team's family members included in the story, right? Especially, You'd say that's a good thing. Yeah, especially Cassie's parents. Something about them is actually interesting. Uh, they, they have very interesting jobs, cool. and they have actually, like, their personality actually comes across more so than a lot of the other Animorphs' parents. Actually, this book, um, I would say, pretty pretty well cements Cassie's parents uh, into, my mind at least, as, you know, some of the cooler... Uh, parental family characters in this series they i mean just feel I, like I don't actual... care much about rachel's family to be honest <laughs> yeah rachel's family's kind of dumb i mean they, they tried to hit some heavy divorce topics with her family and stuff but right this, it was interesting like, at least in the reaction but yeah but but cassie's family actually feels like characters they feel like they have personalities like they're not they're not just parents because she has to have parents because she's young especially from this book yeah, and, you know, as animal lovers, as fellow animal lovers, I, I totally relate to them. I feel like I am already part of their family. You know? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. At this point, at book 14, <laughs> I don't know anything about Jake's parents. Nothing. No, yeah, you got a very good point. All of Jake's stuff has been centered around Tom. That is it. Mm -hmm. That is the driving focus. That's a meat and potatoes of the Animorph series. The really? Tobias's aunt and uncle, who aren't even a regular part of the series, are more fleshed out than Jake's parents. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see when we get to that book that's uh, no, about I mean, so them far. having to leave town or something. For so far, though, we've already we already like I know that his aunt's in a situation where she doesn't want him. His uncle's a deadbeat. You know, I know more about his parents than I know about Jake's parents, or more about his aunt. Well, we know that Jake's dad likes wrestling. And we know a shit ton about Tobias's real parents at this point. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Yeah, we we've spent a while with Tobias's extended family, um, his immediate family. It's not his it, extended family. Well, it's extended because they're out in space. 
No, that's literally not <laughs> how that word works. It's his immediate family. Oh, okay. I want to say one more thing about the recap, too. Okay. It seems like the recaps are switching off back and forth between a style of getting them finished as quickly as possible right at the beginning or stretching them out over the first few chapters of the book. Like you have story, 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 recap. Story, 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 recap. Or they do recap and then story. <laughs> yeah, I think they've got a couple of uh, methods to sort of dump the information that new readers might need. Um and, you know, I, I don't particularly think one way works better than any. I mean, I guess if I had a choice, I would prefer that they just spent the first chapter or two focusing entirely on story. And, you know, they didn't need recaps every single book. But yeah, that's a tall order for the Animorph series. That's a lot. <laughs> that's, to that's, a, that's a burden to bear, really, as a fan, because every single time we pick these up, we've got to relearn about the Yerks and the Texans and the Hortbajir and the Ged. Jake's and the our leader, but he doesn't G want to be our leader. Jake and Cassie, and they love each other. Oh, it's sweet. So there's a lot going on. Think, think of how crazy the series would have been if it was completely unbound by those rules. Um, it would be pretty epic, I imagine. Uh, so where were we? Oh, yes. Um. Cassie and Rachel just chilling in the neighborhood. And then uh, Cassie's dad comes in and he begins to, he tells him that crazy Helen, a lady called crazy Helen called about a sick horse that's out in the drylands. And you know, when somebody named crazy Helen calls you, you basically have to take that order. <laughs> yeah. And they make a point of saying, Oh, we shouldn't call her crazy Helen, but of course that's what she calls herself. And why is she crazy dad? And, <laughs> yeah, well, I I like when the Animorphs books do this. Uh, I like when they, they bring in these kind of quirky, weird, one-off characters. You know, that's, that's one thing the Animorphs series does really well. And actually, this book, I think, gives us two kind of decent side characters. The only thing about this whole thing, or this whole really plot of this book, um, Whoa, is, is the fact that they're really trying to have their cake and eat it with geographically where this town is located oh right yeah i mean we've got we've got basically nevada you know 10 miles away don't you know that the entire world is just an extension of cassie's woods pretty much when they say national park that's every national park it's it's the entire continental u.s Mm -hmm. plus alaska well i mean this would make sense if if like most people assume the series does take place in somewhere in california but the only problem we're getting into now is that they regularly go to the beach which is like five miles away from where they all live and now they're able to just take a casual trip with rachel out to nevada basically well yeah i i guess um the the new area in question is the drylands and i i'm not entirely sure if they ever revisit this area in the the series i i don't think they do but i mean it wouldn't be a stretch to think why not. Everything seems to be nearby. This is all just a setup so they can do an Area 51 story. That's what it is. Yeah, basically. Um, and, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> Here's my question. Why didn't they use Area 51? Uh, I don't know, because they like to be sneaky with their references sometimes. Do you think that in the Cassie Diary, uh, a war journal... She actually wanted to throw people off on their location by saying Zone 91 instead of 
Area 51, and this whole thing takes place in Area 51? It could have been. She could have been like, we cannot flat out admit that we were the ones breaking into Area 51, so I'm going to, just for memoir's sake, I'm going to relabel it in this. I know this this is... is, I know this is not the time or place for this discussion, but, you know, where else are we going to have it? So, (laughs) the whole hiding where they are is dumb, right? It's dumb. It makes no sense. I don't... I don't particularly mind it. It doesn't really impede. I don't the mind story it. Ever. It's a cool. It's a cool gimmick for the series, and obviously hiding their names makes all sorts of sense, and changing the names of certain people around them. Obviously, all of that makes sense. Well, wait a minute. Let's be honest here. I live in Minnesota, and there was no way I was picturing this book series taking place in Minnesota. It's, it's just not even that. Happen. It's not even context clues. They are talking if these if they're afraid of these journals getting read by Yerks and finding out who they are, which is why they hide their name and hide their location and all that stuff. If they're actually afraid of that happening, it is insanely it, it makes no sense to hide where you are because these events are things that the Yerks have seen. These are missions the Yerks were doing and they knew where those missions took place. Well, especially if, they, if you're writing about how you're going to school with Chapman. Um, well, yeah, and they probably changed his name. They say they changed names and stuff, but. If Chapman ever got a hold of these, which he's a high-ranking Yurk, if a Yurk's got a hold of this, Chapman would probably see it, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, I was talking to Visor 3 in my basement secret lab when a cat jumped in, and we almost took our daughter to <laughs> get in. You know, th- this all happened to them. So they, Visor 3, as as much as he is everywhere, the Yurks are, um, he was at all these places, and he knew when the Andalites, uh, the Andalite bandits attacked. So, like, it makes zero sense hiding the location. You know what? There's only one explanation. The books themselves that we have are not canon to the series. Think about that. <laughs> what? That means they never actually write the journals. So these, these books don't technically exist. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say that the kids never actually write the journals. These are just But they stories. said my name is Jake. You think he was lying? That was just some person? Some author fictionalizing this? What are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just saying, within the continuity of the series, they're not actually writing these books that we're reading. Their actual journal entries are just like, went to the mall, saw Cassie. She said, what's up? Oh, so you're saying... Okay, this is getting interesting. (laughs) So you're saying that post-war, somebody took their actual war journals, which are written sporadically in different voices say are much more in code some of them like you know like marcos is completely like you gotta read every third letter to get yeah dude it's like it's like in uh full metal alchemist when um the one alchemist wanted to disguise his notes he wrote it as a cookbook yeah so (laughs) so you're saying after the war somebody had to decode and put together stitch together all the kids journals of these individual incidents oh my gosh this is actually genius so so he would he took not only their notes, but he took the events from, like, wit- Yerk witnesses who have now morphed into humans permanently. He took uh, accounts of other people who were at these events or people who have died. And Wow, this is heavy stuff. Um, it, uh, yeah. I uh, aim to blow minds. On I mean, you could podcast. write an entire sequel series this way. It, it, would be, it would be like Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events. I never read those. Well, you don't need to read them. Did you see the movie with Jim Carrey? Yeah, but that wasn't... Well, in that within that series, it is... Uh, the character Lemony Snicket is a... Uh, he's, he's 
of the person who's putting together the story about the the family. And so he's writing each book about the family, but the, you know, all oh. the stories take place about the kids. Yeah. I mean, you could almost write another Animorph series in the style of something like Robopocalypse or World War Z, where it's like uh documentary, documentary style. So, so K.A. Applegate is uh Lemony Snicket, basically. <laughs> well, no, she, yeah, she's a fictional third party who is piecing these together for historical documentation. Yes. Cause she doesn't so, use her real name on it. So to wrap all this back around, when we read a Cassie book and she's like, I totally like Jake, like, like him. That's like a 40 year old guy being like, okay, how did she feel about Jake based on (laughs) this and this account and the dead account of her parents? And (laughs) I've got one picture of the two of them together. And it's like, you know, a school class photo with like 30 oh, yeah. other kids and they're not even looking at each other <laughs> i love the idea of an uh in general of any book of a um unreliable narrator so you could totally have something like that that's why they never got together because there was no love story there that was something insinuated by whoever wrote these wow it's it's mind-blowing stuff and we I mean, just we're, we're barely even talking about the actual story here <laughs> <laughs> because everything we just talked about was more interesting than everything this but Sure. Okay. That's not. No, we're gonna have a lot of interesting theories, and that's just one of them throughout this. I've got another one here, and it starts off when uh, Cassie. So Cassie and her dad are obviously gonna go out to the drylands to meet with Crazy Helen to see about this sick horse that is apparently out there, and Cassie invites Rachel along, um, which of course Rachel's like, "No, that's not fun. I don't want to do that." And Cassie, Cassie makes the deal with her that you know if you come with us. Y'all let you pick out some clothes for me. What a fair yeah, trade. Which is all you need for Rachel to jump on board. Like, say say we're going to pick out clothes or we're going to kill someone and Rachel's on board. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's her to-do list. Um, so, of course, she she's in then. Um, they all drive out to the drylands. Uh, it takes a couple of hours, so who knows where it's at. Um, and they pull up to Crazy Helen's trailer. And, uh, like I said, we get this... Pretty interesting character, Crazy Helen. Um, and she's obviously, you know, ranting and raving about various uh, um, alien conspiracies. She's one of those kind of characters. Yeah, you can totally picture a trailer with like a little UFO on top of it and tons of gray alien stickers on the side. And... Yeah, she's got like some kind of store or something. She sells yeah, you stuff see a lot of trailer, if you go, I think. If you go to Nevada towards Area 51 or if you go to like Roswell, New Mexico, uh, there's tons of these little... Yeah, shops they, by the side of the road, really alien stuff. Turn that into part of their culture out there. Yeah. Well, she she points them towards the the what they think is a sick horse, and she's like, they, they she makes a comment too. By the way, she says, um, uh, she's over there, over there. Crazy Helen yelled as soon as we piled out of the truck. It's a big rowan mare. She's acting all funny, like maybe she's been eating the loco weed. Loco weed. Rachel asked me. I shrugged. So uh, my theory here is that uh, Crazy Helen is a pot farmer. She's uh, <laughs> she's got it's wild horses even... roaming the land, eating her weed. It's not even that far outside the realm of the concept of this book, and that totally fits Crazy Helen's character. Oh yeah, because you're insane if you smoke weed. No, but you know, someone who would grow pot behind their trailer in the middle of you know nevada while they're spouting off things about aliens that's like something straight out of like a hollywood blockbuster that 
sounds like somebody I'd want to hang out with. Especially <laughs> after we get a detailed description of what's inside her trailer. I want to party with Crazy Helen. So, so Crazy Helen uh, runs a little shop selling various knickknacks and, I guess, pot. Which is and... apparently a front, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a front for her real business, her loco weed business. Um, and, okay, so the the everybody else goes off to look for this horse. And this is where the, the story gets a little weird, because this particular horse that's acting sick or funny is trying to use a payphone. Yeah, it's it's picked up a stick or something, and it's trying to dial numbers. And it's a great visual of, you know, it's for some reason I'm picturing it at nighttime. I don't know if it actually takes place at night or not. Well, it's just um, horses are such, you know, kind of silly creatures. I mean, really. They're the creatures we inhibit a lot of. They're like dogs. We put a lot of human personality in them because for centuries we've been so close to them. Um, well, it's weird because they don't have hands. <laughs> Anything that doesn't have hands is just is weird to me. <laughs> That's a lot of things. I don't really respect you until you evolve hands, okay? So they've encountered this uh, horse acting, you know, very much not like a horse. And I think Cassie and probably Rachel are are both skeptic of this horse's behavior right off the bat. Um, and this is when Cassie's dad runs off. He's like, I gotta go get crazy, Helen. Or something. I don't know what he's doing. He's gotta I, go smoke some pot behind crazy. Yeah, Helen's exactly. <laughs> That's how her dad knows this lady. Uh, so after he conveniently leaves the scene, um, Cassie and Rachel both spot a yerk crawling out of the horse's ear, or what they think is a, a yerk. Well, They're... one thing we didn't mention is that they were caught out there because the horse was acting uh, strange, or you know, we kind of mentioned that, but. The horse is, like, swaying on the spot and looking sick and everything else. Yeah, so, and you know what? I didn't catch this right away, my first read-through, but um, apparently it was he was suffering from a snake bite. Yeah, like a rattlesnake or something. Right. Um, but, you know, as soon as Cassie's dad is conveniently out of there and they discover that this is probably a yerk-controlled horse, um, the, the girls are shot at by a bug fighter that appears out of nowhere. Well, it's and, kind of worded uh, nice where it's, it leaves it almost a little ambiguous like it's a first person narrative so she thinks it's a bug fighter and she thinks she hears something that sounds a lot like a drake on beam um but it doesn't directly say it yeah and i guess that's because she you know didn't actually see what it was it was exactly. kind of described as you know bright lights suddenly and then pew, pew, pew. yeah so cassie's knocked out and uh when she wakes up i thought there were some interesting things here this is just an overload of pop culture references she wakes up and she's staring at she's in the trailer of crazy helen and there's just they just throw down every sci-fi reference they could think of close encounters of the third kind star trek the next generation stormtroopers wookies uh x-files mike crow and servo and gypsy from mystery science theater 3000 uh yep. jane fonda from barbarella Plan 9 from Outer Space, The Day of the Earth Stood Still, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and and it says, and of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, I was, that had to be, I don't know what it was, but they were just, they just wanted to list off their favorite sci-fi things, except Plan 9 from Outer Space. No one actually likes that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's a popular sci-fi thing that people would recognize, so. Yeah. Of course it made it in. The, uh, the, the Apple Gates... The Grants, I don't know what, the, what you call them collectively, other than mm -hmm. Katie Applegate. They love their their references. 
Yeah, it's just funny that uh, Cassie is the one who wakes up. So this is from her narration. And she wakes up and the last thing she says, she's naming all these sci-fi things. The fact that I don't think there's any 13-year-old girl in the world who knows what Mystery Science Theater is in the first place. Uh, Mystery yeah, Science well, Theater 3000. You can chalk that up to awesome parenting. That's true. But then also to say, and of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm oh, a, yeah, like she's a huge fan. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi nerd who grew up with Animorphs and all these other sci-fi movies my dad was shoving down my throat. And I didn't really appreciate 2001 until I was in college, you know? Oh, right. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe they broke character a little bit here. Yeah, it was it was Michael Grant and Kay Applegate just being like, and this is the best of sci-fi. <laughs> right. Well, not much else happens here. Cassie wakes up and is kind of spooked by a cardboard cutout. And Crazy spooked. Helen reveals Dwarf, right? why she wears a tinfoil hat. <laughs> yep. Of course. So that's about it. Um, and then, of course, we get our obligatory cut to the mall scene. Where Cassie, where Cassie, <laughs> where Cassie has to live up to her promise of going clothes shopping. Yes, of course. And we've got Marco talking about just how awesome Zone 91 is. And this is, you know, where we're introduced to this concept of Zone 91, just because of Marco talking about it. Yeah, in reference to where they were and the aliens and everything like that. Right, um, yeah. And this is the best part. Best part of this book. Tobias walks into the mall as a human. Yeah, first appearance. Jeez. Tobias in human morph. It's one thing for it to be the end of, you know, the change where he's like gets his human morph back. It's a whole other thing for him to be walking into the mall on two legs. That's you know just... what? Speaking of which, that, that reminds me... Um... So, I don't know about you, but I, in in my mind, I'm keeping track of where I would cut the the seasons of the fictional Animorphs TV show that I'm creating in my mind. That's a cartoon, and it's awesome. Um, anyway, so the the first season being you know the first seven books plus the uh, the first Megamorphs, and then season two starting back up with the Alien, I believe, and then going all the way to Andalite Chronicles, I think. And then I'm not sure if I would continue this as part of season two or if I would start this off as season three. No, this I is not agree. a good, not a good. Season I would agree with you besides the cartoon thing, which it should be live action. No. And uh, I'd also agree with you, except the Andalite Chronicles and Megamorphs. Those. Those are the, the, the specials. They're the in-between seasons. But I think they could, they maybe, could be the half season point, you, too. Even those, if you did like animation would need a sizable budget to you know, like have a higher quality and stuff. They would have to be like made for TV movies or something. I don't well, know. no, the thing about the Andalite Chronicles would probably be like a three episode or four episode even special. I would almost say those would need to be cut from a TV show or done specially somewhere outside. I don't know. I don't know how I would do those. But point is, if you were cutting it up just, just by the main series, I agree with your timeline uh, but I, I put this as this book being the first episode of season three. You leave really? the cliffhanger of season two being Tobias getting his human morph back. Hmm. Well, okay. I, I Fine. Yeah, this is the beginning of season three. And then uh, would you say that this will end with Megamorphs 2 and then season four would kick off no, with see, the Megamorphs David trilogy? Two. Or, no, or, no, no. See, the okay, Megamorphs 2. Megamorphs 2 would be... Um, um, we read, we read Megamorphs 2 before Book 19. Though. I know, I know. But Megamorphs, as I said just now, the Megamorphs, I don't know what I would do with those. Whether they'd be like Christmas specials or what. But uh, but just talking about the main series, 
uh, the departure number 19 would be a great season finale. That would be an amazing season finale. But and it would be that... kind of weird to jump into the David trilogy as the start of a new season. But no. it would also be kind of awesome. Book 19 would have to be the start of season four, I believe that would be. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yes. <laughs> I'm saying book you 19. You just said book 19 good... was awesome. It would be a great season finale. No, it'd be a... no, because after no you, you, why would you say it would be a good start because it would that's not a very good i'm because be megamorphs a... number two would come before it and that would be like the the season finale of season three no cut out all the stupid bullshit chronicles and megamorphs i'm talking just the main storyline think about where you're ending it so a book 18 isn't that great i mean it's good but it's not like a season finale and book 20 is the start of something you wouldn't jump into that being the second episode. The departure where Cassie can't decide if she even wants to be an Animorph anymore. That's a big Indian point. That's a season finale material. It's an amazing book. That's a season finale. That is Well, not I haven't season. read it, so I'm sorry. Yeah, so you don't even know what you're talking about. I would still put it as the first episode of season four. That, you haven't read it. It doesn't make any sense. You're talking from nothing. Yeah, I know. Based on everything I know, I've made this decision. You're retarded. That makes no sense. I don't even want to continue this episode. It's so bad right now. <laughs> uh, well, we were talking about how cool Tobias is. Um, and you know what? This is where um, Tobias shows up. And, you know, it's a pretty cool moment because he's in his human morph. And Marco is just still a s insufferable little prick to him. <laughs> he's just... <laughs> He takes every ins uh, every chance he has to insult Tobias and just. Well, we've already established though that that makes Tobias feel more comfortable around them. Have we? Yeah, Tobias said that he likes, even though he's annoying sometimes, he likes that Marco makes fun of him because it makes him feel more like part of the group. And I think Marco's picked up on that, and that when Marco makes a joke about him eating mice or rats or you know whatever, that's actually him being nice to Tobias because he knows it makes him feel included. I don't know, dude. He, I, I would almost say that he takes it a little too far in this book because it's in every scene. He's just a dick. I know he's thirteen, dude. He, he's should be a dick. Uh, I know, and you know what? I still love him too. It's crazy. <laughs> still favorite character. It's an abusive relationship with Marco. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean they're hanging out there and life is good, but um, uh. I thought this was funny is that immediately after like making fun of Tobias and just being a dick, Cassie immediately starts, you know, describing all her friends. Cause we're still in this kind of pre recap phase yeah. thing. And she just has nothing but nice things to say about Marco, even though he's just been a total dick. Well, no, she says something like, uh, he's always fooling around and joking and blah, 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 but he's actually like thinking forward and, and really smart and, yeah, so she know. covers for him. Yeah, maybe Cassie has a thing for Marco. Tobias doesn't even get an awesome comeback line for Marco or anything like that. His next line is just, so, what's up? Yeah, because he's so over it. He doesn't care. He knows that Marco's just thinking his best interest in mind. Whatever. Marco feels threatened because Tobias has a human body back now, which makes him an open prospect for Rachel. So he's like, oh my god, I gotta step up my game and start making fun of Tobias more. I gotta show off in front of Rachel. That's what it is. I bet in the first, <laughs> in the first book, when Jake saves Tobias from uh, from getting his head swirlied, 
I bet Marco was one of the guys. Swirling. Yeah, that's right. It probably was. <laughs> hey, Jake, what's up? What's or, up? Or Marco was like standing there watching. <laughs> Videotaping it. Right. Well, uh, regardless of Cassie, your feelings about Marco. <laughs> yeah, Cassie tells everyone about Zone 91 and the horse that's tied to the Yurks and and Marco continues to be addicted by us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, they they basically just kind of talk about, you know, why Yurks would even want to control horses and what the point of that would be. I don't get... This was actually a question that I'd always had about the series, and because I'd skipped this book, I apparently never found this out. Um, I always wondered why Yurks didn't use other host bodies. Because, you know, I mean, they could put Yurks in tigers, and then well, have a whole army of tigers. They say specifically there's only certain animals they can even try to fit in. Because it's not even a matter of brain size or anything like that. It's also, there's probably some connection to how smart and or, or what kind of brain it is, how big the ear canal is. I mean, there's probably a lot of factors. I guess, but in a series about morphing, it just it seems like if you've got the ability to you know take over control of a body... It's kind of similar to Morphin. Yeah, but you want that's the heroes. You don't wanna you don't wanna pit Superman against, you know, in the first comic against his bizarro version that has all the same powers as him. That's not That's fun. exactly what I want to see. No. <laughs> you wanna you wanna have him face Lex Luthor, who's his complete opposite, and that's why he's his main villain. You know, the Yurks are their own entity. They're their own they have their own spaceships and weapons and how they interact. You don't want Animorphs versus Animorphs until you get to the amazing David trilogy where it's Animorphs versus Animorphs. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Well, as they point out, I think, or, or at least they, they make a good point to show that animal host bodies are just awkward to Yurks now because they're so ingrained in human culture and human society. So when they are in control of horse bodies, you know, they act awkward and it's it's noticeable. Well, it's to, not just humans. They're just used to being able to control sentient creatures, which have a certain level of intelligence. You know, being an animal is boring to them, and they don't like it, obviously. It's, right, it's yeah. It, it's, they definitely don't, you know, have a good time with it. <laughs> a yerk needs to, when controlling a host body, a yerk needs to be able to constantly stream obscenities and, and dominance you know, sounding things to the host to uh to really enjoy the experience. And right? Yeah, yeah. I can imagine a yerk trying to overlord over a uh, horse. <laughs> Fear yeah. me, creature, for I control your body now. The next move the team decides to make is to uh, do a flyover of Zone Ninety One, and uh, only a couple of the animorphs are able to go. And conveniently, it's Cassie tagging along with the love triangle forming of Tobias, Rachel, and Marco. Well, it's not only that a few of them can go, it's that they have some things to do, sure, but uh, a lot of the Animorphs aren't taking this completely seriously. Yeah, which I find it funny that Jake is the one who's not going. <laughs> yeah, they don't honestly believe that a bug fighter shot at Cassie and Rachel, like they think they might have imagined it, and even, Case, uh, even Cassie and Rachel uh, are doubting themselves a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's only because they didn't directly see it, but I yeah. think to everyone else it's pretty obvious as to what is actually happening um we get a uh, cut to the next day where they're in school and it's kind of a funny little uh scene here 
with Cassie and Rachel in school, and it's just Cassie being crapped on by all the guys of their school who are kind of hot for Rachel. There are at least three examples of guys being like, Oh, what's up, Kathy? Oh, and Rachel's over here. Rachel, can I can I carry your backpack for you? But that's not them specifically being mean to Cassie. It's just when when this normal, you know, looking girl is walking next to the hottest girl in school. No, that is not true. Because one of the guys is like, oh, Cassie, yeah, you look different. Did you gain weight? <laughs> Boom! They are shitting on Cassie. <laughs> Did you gain weight? Um... I don't know. So I Cassie gets can... shat on while Rachel is lifted onto a pedestal. <laughs> Carried down the hall like Cleopatra in the days of yore. I think I think that happened in one... That should happen. That should be in a book. <laughs> I want that book. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, Jake shows up and he's like, hey Cassie, what's going on? Oh yeah, Jake shows today? up, you know, just in time to give her the old wink and a catchphrase well not exactly a catchphrase but it's it's like a uh a line from a movie basically yeah but the way cassie's having her day i'm sure he said something in real life i'm sure he said something like hey cassie have you stayed the same weight or something <laughs> that's that's his big compliment uh, yeah um no it's it's kind of a cute little moment really if yeah you, if you really really get down to it as opposed to when she gets to class and Marco starts giving her a bunch of over-the-top compliments and she finds out, just to make her day complete, that Rachel paid him to say nice things about her new album. Well, and it's funny because Marco doesn't even deny it. He's like, yeah, Rachel paid me. He tells her <laughs> as quickly as possible to make sure she feels as bad as she could. Yeah, uh, that's just another reason why Marco is awesome. <laughs> he just, he um, just does what he does, you know? After Cassie's had basically the worst school day of her career, um, they go back to her barn. You know, we got we got the classic Animorph Barn meetup. Right. Yeah. Between the people going to the drylands, not everybody. And the obligatory bird morph flight chapter. <laughs> oh yeah, where Tobias makes sure to talk about sweet thermals. Sweet thermals, bro. <laughs> Caught some sweet thermals over by the drylands. Thinking about hitting them later. So they fly over the base. They land and demorph behind uh, some outcropping of rocks or something. And they decide to have a little chat. It's chatting time. We need to rest between morphs all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. I thought this was kind of weird. They they are demorphed behind these rocks and are immediately found out by guards. Just like, it's just immediate. <laughs> yeah. It's like said... they had no time to waste in transitioning scenes. <laughs> Well, you could assume that the guards are on alert and they're actually patrolling or something, and they see all these birds land, which they don't equate that to people, but they might see that as, well, what are these birds attracted to over near those rocks? Yeah. Know, and oh, and it, it's important to mention that as they were flying over the base, they did see you know, a, a bunch of horses that could possibly be the controllers. Yeah, she's a bunch of horses walking all over this base. Yeah, I know. They just let them roam free. No control yeah, they're whatsoever. Horses. They're not. They're not trained horses. They're wild horses. Mustangs. Well, they could take some sort of precautionary measure. I mean, a fence. Why? But why would they need to? They're horses. They don't why do not? anything. Why not have a fence? Why have? I'm sure they have a fence, but they're just horses. They probably walk in through the front gate. No one gives a crap. Uh, I I think a military. You can't get. You can't tame more. these wild horses. I live in Texas now. 
All right, I'm one with the horses. I know how they are. <laughs> sure. Can't tame um, this. Yeah, so uh, they're behind this uh, rock. Oh, they immediately get caught. Before they get caught, there there is kind of a little funny scene where uh, Marco's again being sort of addicted to bias, but uh, he gets his comeuppance as a uh, snake crawls up next to him. That's kind of funny. Yeah, he gets all freaked out like a little girl. Yes, and then it leads to uh, one of the better quotes from Tobias. I'll see if I can find it real quick. It is. I'm out, uh, bitches. <laughs> I will protect your butt from snake bites, Marco, Tobias said solemnly. <laughs> That's a good quote. That is a really good quote. Tobias talking about Marco's butt. There's some there's some uh fan fiction about that on the internet, I'm sure. You joke. I've read that fan fiction. There's like thirty seven chapters of it. Oh. And it's constantly being updated. <laughs> it's got, what? It's ongoing? I've told you about this before. The ongoing saga? A- I don't want to embarrass the guy or girl. I don't. I can't tell if it's a girl or a guy. It's Kate Applegate. <laughs> no, no, no. There is there is a fan fiction right now that is easily findable by looking at the Facebook Animorphs page because they're constantly posting new chapters. Um, but it is a love triangle between specifically between Marco and Tobias. But Rachel comes. It's post war. Marco and Tobias are back on Earth. Marco and Tobias are discovering a love for each other they never felt before. <laughs> And then Rachel comes back, and they turn it into a polygamous relationship. Well, you, and, uh, you got my attention. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I have your attention, or I have your curiosity. Now I'm going to get your attention. <laughs> Not only does this love triangle exist into this polygamous relationship, but Tobias has a Mark Ruffalo morph that he uses on certain specific sexual occasions. Oh, that that is just... That is just pandering now. Come on, hundred percent. That is just pandering. Next, you're gonna say. Next, you're gonna say. Oh, and and Marco happens to acquire Dennis the Menace. Nope, it's specifically Mark Ruffalo, and Tobias has it. Um, Mark Ruffalo. I'm not even joking. I'm not joking. This is a real thing that's being updated by a real person right now. <laughs> I'll give it five chapters. I've read three chapters. I'm not gonna lie. Just just to see where it's going. Interesting. Very I interesting. I don't think I like it. As soon as they're they're caught, um, there's really nothing they can do. I mean, they're they're found out, and it's a very bizarre situation, especially for the uh, the the military people, you know, taking them into custody because it's like these kids in <laughs> spandex shorts and no shoes just turn up in the middle of a desert. Yeah, and this is a good point, real quick, to talk about. Uh, so far, the concept of this book, this whole focus around aliens and Zone 91 and Area 51 and all that sort of thing, uh, really good. Really good concept. It's really cool. I, I like how it's jovial and how it's going and how it's all centered around, you know, the real life mythology of aliens versus the actual alien universe that this book series uh, has paid tribute to and, and built up. Uh, so far, really, really cool. And the fact that they got caught on Area 51 or Zone 91's, uh, you know, property or territory, uh, it's just leading into a lot of those, uh, tropes of movies and TV shows that have done something like this. So, big fan so far. All on board. Uh, especially this part, the cleverness of Marco and how he, basically, they're being interrogated, and Marco keeps making jokes about, like, where are you guys keeping the aliens? Where are you doing this? Super clever, because they, you know, Rachel and Tobias, or Rachel... Uh, and Cassie. Yeah, Tobias got away. Out. Tobias flew off. He's still yeah, he flew off like a coward. Um, <laughs> Rachel and Cassie uh, 
they don't get it, but they ca- they catch on that Marco is, you know, making these jokes to make them seem like just a bunch of stupid teenagers who wanted to see some aliens, you know, because if they knew that they were there for a mission or something serious, there'd be a lot more than just calling their parents that's going to happen. Right, yeah. And, well, they give them, they give the captain, this this one-off character named uh, Captain Torelli, they give him fake names and phone numbers, and the uh, the names are kind of humorous. Oh, yeah, you got... Uh, Fox you Mulder? Got Mulder? Fox Mulder, um, Scully, and... Uh, Cassie, Cassie goes by Cindy Crawford. That was the Cindy best she could come up with <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> under the and, pressure. And the guy buys it because he just doesn't know pop culture. That well, way. of course, yeah. Um, so as soon as he uh, leaves them all alone, I like this part here because they're talking, they actually talk about like what morph they should use to escape this situation. Yeah. They, they consider their options since they have a couple of useful bug morphs, which nobody really wants to resort to bug morph, but it's just one of the most useful, especially for making their escapes. Yeah. And they decide on cockroach, uh, which beat out fly. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't want to do fly. Even though they they generally have a pretty good time whenever they go fly, but it's a little more disorienting and not as useful. You know what? I can't even believe that at this point in the series, they are still bringing up ant. Because somebody always has to be like, we'd go ant. And then you have to. They do it just for for everyone else to cringe. (laughs) You have to bring it up because it's one of the morphs. They only have so many morphs at this point, so it's just an option. I know. I, I'm assuming when, you know, book 43 rolls around, we won't still be hearing the uh, ant morph joke. Yeah. The, the um, recurring ant morph shudder. Yeah. But so they use cockroach morph to get out of here. They escape out the door. And once they make it outside the building, Tobias swoops in. And he's like a cockroach carrier at this point. He he's, this he's, he's he's wonderful with his uh, swooping ability. Aside from uh, a couple Dropping of Cassie. slip-ups like right, right now where he <laughs> drops Cassie. In cockroach uh, Didn't, like, three books ago he dropped Jake? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't remember. I don't think so. I think he did. Yeah, because the book where, uh... He dropped... He, well, he's, he's really making a career out of dropping Cassie. Because remember in Megamorphs 1, he dropped Cassie. From oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so Cassie ends uh, up getting run over by a tank. <laughs> she's dead. Out of the series. Blew all our minds. End of book 14, The Unknown. That would be uh, great if you went to go pick up your new Animorphs book. And it was like only two chapters long. You're like, what's going on? And just one of the characters died. It was like a choose your own adventure, except you can't go back. And like the narrator died. Like if they had a hardcore scene, like uh, when Jake was in uh, Cockroach Morph in that secret meeting and uh, he got poisoned. Like what if you just had three pages of Jake dying and then he died and it switched narrators? Yeah, that would be that'd hardcore. That would be pretty interesting. Although foreshadowing, that does happen in a book. <laughs> Well, it happens like Megamorphs book. Yeah, I know. Megamorphs is where they get creative, though. Megamorphs, I will say to this day, Megamorphs, is it three? Yeah, it's three. Megamorphs three, where they go back in time, and almost everyone dies horrible, gruesome deaths. Best yeah, of the it's series. pretty sweet. <laughs> um, Cassie manages to survive getting run over by a tank, luckily. And the entire group, of course, gets to retreat and demorph and things are good. And we get a bit more plot with the horses because they happen to run into this group of horses that shares a very odd uh, trait. And, you know, I like how uh, Animorphs not above uh, just making poop jokes. In fact, I I dog-eared one page that was uh, when they first arrived on the base. Um, And they're talking about how they're looking around the base and they're noticing all the horses. Um, <laughs> and then 
let me just read this little part. Uh, then suddenly, plop, 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 the horse began to do what horses do, if you know what I mean. That horse is taking a dump, Marco whispered. Thanks for pointing that out, Beavis, Rachel said. <laughs> we wouldn't have noticed without you. Horse patties, Marco said. Prairie pies. <laughs> I mean, the Animorph series is clearly not above uh, poop jokes, so that's that's fun. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this these horses are strange because they are modest about this, because one horse starts pooping, and... The other horses kind of like laugh, like horse laugh, which I, I'm just picturing. I'm picturing it as a cartoon and it's hilarious to me. <laughs> but this this one horse feels all modest and like walks off because the other horses are laughing at it. Yeah, it gives them a clue that they need to, you know, follow up on this whole horse thing. If they weren't believers yet of Yorks being in horses, this, this whole scenario this, has this made tip them tip the scale. This is yeah. a convenient happen upon that, you know kind of happens in these Animorphs books sometimes where they'll escape a bad situation only to conveniently be put somewhere in the right place at the right time to get, you know, the story moving. So I'm going to do something that we've never done before here on Don't Thought Speak. And uh, it's possibly a controversial move. No. But, but let's see how you react to it. So they go back to Cassie's barn and they all talk about needing horse morphs. Can we just say that they go to a racetrack and it's ridiculous and dumb and the whole scene is stupid and they get horse morphs and then we can continue on with the plot? Uh, <laughs> because we no, can talk about this dude. whole section. This is, this is, uh, I thought this was a fun scene. It's, it's no. stupid. I'll give you that. It's stupid. But I, there's some genuinely funny parts here. It is actually jarring to the plot. No, no, this is funny. Okay, I mean, I, I won't go into great detail here, but at least let me defend this scene. I have one thing to talk about in the scene, but yeah, let's let's speed through it because I think it's just. I okay, bad. I'm fine with that. But yes, like you said, um, so the group is like, we need we need horse morphs now, um, and where Cassie, are we gonna get horse morphs? Even though Cassie has a horse morph, she's like, yeah, I'll come with, and everybody goes to the racetrack, which is you know that's the place that's the place where you go, um, so that they can get different horse morphs. Right away, they fly into a stable, and they start demorphing inside the stables, and Tobias, like, fails as a sky cam, because he flies off right away, and doesn't warn them to the two old men that are in the next stall, who immediately pop over and see the team demorphing. And this is this is a dicey kind of uh, thing that the Animorph series does, where it, you know, mixes in ordinary civilians, and they see the kids morphing, and they see Axe, and it's like... You know, it, it's pretty risky stuff. But um, I thought this was really funny here because they're they're trying to hide Axe from these old people who are, like, asking all these questions about it. And uh, uh, the one dude's like, why are you hiding that horse? And uh, he sees that he's blue, and he's like, why is that horse blue? And the, the best that Cassie can come up with here is to say, we like blue horses, I said lamely. And then it goes on, someday all horses will be blue, Jake agreed. Like... <laughs> <laughs> they're just so we don't give a shit about. <laughs> we. I really don't think it big here. Is in what world is Axe even half morphed and still be able to pull off a horse? Well, it's because they're standing in front of him and he's got his back he's turned huge. to them. He can't stand no, I know that. No, he could. No, they they could block him slightly, especially if it's dark in there. Who his knows? he doesn't have like a like an almost kind of horse head. It's not like he has like. 
a human head where a horse head should be. He has an upper body sticking out of the front of where a horse would have a head. And well, a head on top of that. This is I like I said, this is kind of a problem that the Animorphs books do is they they tend to have these scenes that happen in public that seems like they should be found out by controllers. But yeah. we'll give it a slide because it it advances the plot. So anyway, it, it starts into this whole thing with they're they're running through the stables, you know, and they kind of all split up and do their own thing. And um, this is a good moment for Cassie too, because we get a little bit of Cassie character development actually, where uh, Cassie, who at this point has not really been a fighter unless she's you know in her battle morph, um, we have this point where they're they're just about to run away from the people, and somebody actually grabs Cassie's ankle. She says, "I looked down. It was some teenager who had my ankle. I got one of them." He yelled, "I didn't want to kick him. I didn't want to hurt him." He was just a guy, probably not a controller. I got this one. I got this guy. And Cassie's like, guy? Excuse me, guy? <laughs> and so she, she she kicks him then. And that's just like a great uh, development for Cassie, who so far has been a pacifist and is somebody I could not imagine kicking another human. Well, so far, no one's called her a dude either. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, the one guy at school called her fat. Well, he just thought she gained a little weight. Could have been good weight. You never know. <laughs> Um, right. Well, anyway, everybody ends up acquiring their mad... horse morphs, and yeah. and Cassie gets this uh, this famous Minneapolis Max, and is shoehorned into a horse race that she wins because why not? <laughs> well, and I just want the only thing I want to say about this is that so far this book has I would think it's been written in a more interesting way than we've ever seen Cassie written up to this point. Is that fair? Yeah. Oh, it's it's so much more fun than the secret. Um, uh, the message is, is a good book. No, the message was a great introductory book, I think for her. Yeah. But this is, this is a more relaxed, well-written version of Cassie than we've seen so far. Really? And this is kind of spoiler in my review, but this is where I feel like Cassie really comes into being, uh, a full, a more full and complete character. Sure. Except for the scene where she puts the entire world at risk by continuing well, spoilers to talk. spoilers we'll get to that no i'm talking to this scene right here oh why <laughs> the fuck she's won the she's it's great no it's a great triumphant scene she she wins the horse race and she this this scene right here is the one exception to this book being a great cassie book uh because she starts thought speaking to her jockey the guy riding her in the race and the first time she says she does it because she's just so worked up trying to win this race and all the instincts and emotions running through her, I can kind of understand that. Just it's a fluke. She talks to him and she's like, well, you know, stop right here. A lot her. of but them then, thought speak to people accidentally. But then she talks to him like three more times. Just she knows what she she even mentions how she knows she shouldn't have done it the first time. She continues to talk to him and thought speak to him. Hey, Rachel talked to the the kid Tyler when she was rescuing him. And she was wrong. She this is this is the this is not that if we're taking this series seriously, even though this is a fun book, if you talk to people, you're putting the entire human race in jeopardy. No, no, then every animorph is guilty of that crime. Sure, but this, Cassie specifically here does it intentionally three times. It's not an well, accident. Well, still, she wins the race, Coleman. It's a triumphant. <laughs> Who cares? There's Get no on board. Race. There's no even reason to win the Get race. Get on the Cassie train, baby. Uh, I'm on the Cassie train. I'm not making fun of her just to make fun of her. This I'm, this, this gives us this gives us a great running gag for the rest of the series, or not series, but 
Well, maybe series. I don't know. Definitely for the rest of the book. Of what? We'll go right here because the next scene is the the group flying back out to the drylands, and we have Marco trying to convince the group to make money off of betting on these horse races by cheating and morphing into the horses. It's uh, it's very uh, reminiscent of Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, and, and they fly out to Zone ninety one, and they you know hook up with these modest horses again, and. They follow him inside the base, and everyone's walking around in horse morph, and it's, like, super weird, and it's, I don't know, it's funny. And I thought, in a TV show format, it would be funny. Yeah, I mean, they have, there's maybe a, a few too many of these flying conversations in this book, but it makes sense everywhere they're flying to. Yeah, I, I will give you that. It is kind of a slow-moving book. They could have condensed some of these, um, some of these visits out to Zone 91, like, they didn't really need to go to a racetrack and get horses. They could have acquired the horses out in the desert and then gone back, like, without some big, you know, couple of <laughs> You know, that scenes. is a very good point. They could have uh, flown to find some, like, real feral horses. That would have been, I would have much, I would have much rather had a scene where, here we go. Here's, Cassie's here's how it, taming wild horses. Got, <laughs> yeah, we just got an email about how we would change the books and wanting to hear more of that. So here's what I would do. Oh, okay. Instead of going back and doing the racetrack and the seagulls and that whole thing they've already done before, uh, you have them get caught. They escape Zone 91. They go further out into the desert. You have a whole scene of each animal, almost like the griffin scene from uh, Harry Potter, where they're Is trying to tame the griffins. Um, or not the griffins. Whatever. Uh, I'm going to cut that. Hippogriffs. Anymore hippogriffs yeah um, but you have a whole scene of the animorphs one by one trying to approach these horses and they're too wild they're too fast and then you have some huge character development cassie really showing her knowledge and skills and being able to approach a, a wild horse and acquire it when and she then busts out one, a lasso and straight up wrestles the horse to the ground i'm saying you could have had a scene where they acquire horse morphs that's much more in line with the themes of this book <laughs> Rather than going to a Kentucky Derby for some reason, I I guess so. Yeah, they they could still be a lot smarter with the way they go about acquiring animals. I will definitely give you that. Although, like I said, this this, uh, this racetrack chapter, it was fun. I didn't like it. <laughs> Not a fan. Well, anyway, everyone's back out at Zone Ninety One. It's good times walking around in horse morph. And uh, it's funny because the horses start speaking this language, this alien language that Axe identifies as Gallard. Gallard. Yeah. So horses, apparently, they, they these York horses got the discount translators of the universe. Yeah, these, these speech synthesizers, Axe says. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they're not good ones. They're not like universal translators. They're just, they can only speak this basic language, Gallard. Yeah, they're, they're like the, the Kmart. Yeah, it's this, it's this universal language that... Uh, is basically used for diplomacy or, or bartering Radio. throughout the galaxy. And uh, X kind of translates a little bit for him and tells him what's up. It's, it's just basically that this they're looking for something on this base. And I'm uh, glad we finally got a subject that X stayed awake for in class. Oh, yeah, I know, finally, right? <laughs> <laughs> he knows about Gallard. Um, and he's going to know he's gonna know a little bit more uh, in the escape as well about uh, the Lyrons. Yeah, sure. but anyway, anyway, I just started reading the Escape tonight, and I'm so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're they're wandering around on a base. Uh, they decide to split up into two separate groups to follow the Yurks, 
and um, they they follow these horse controllers around the base, and we get more information about just what's going on there. And it kind of looks like a boring base where nothing really is going on. So they're just kind of very very confused until until they charge into this uh, guarded hangar, basically. Yeah, and, the Yurk uh, the Yurk horses are specifically talking about a mission, and we should just get a, we should just do this. We should do something. Blah blah. blah. Animorphs don't know what they're talking about. All right. Uh, but they start congregating around this one hangar. And once the doors of this hangar open, and it's specifically guarded by a bunch of guards, uh, the first group of Animorphs slash Yorks charges these doors, and then Cassie and them charge with uh, with their group. And the humans have no idea what's going on. And once they start to be like, hey, maybe we should stop these horses, horses <laughs> are already in the hangar. Right. And this is where uh, kind of an important note, I guess. I didn't think much of it at the, at the first time I read over it. But Cassie notes that there is a sign-up sheet for a field trip, basically, to the gardens. Except she doesn't notice this now. She notices it earlier when they were captured. Oh, was that? Okay, that was a while yep. ago. We just oh, didn't I mention it. Got to mention it. I knew it was one of the times they went to the base. Nope. Yeah, it was the first time. <laughs> um, and anyway, they they end up in a very kind of confused, sort of jumbled scene here. They they charge into this base and they see this secret thing, and we don't get a very good description of what it really looks like. Yeah, it's um, like a cave, like or it's like a, like a smallish kind of room thing you get into, and it's got some weird device on the wall. I imagine um, it like. Looking like the uh, the um, the AllSpark cube, just larger, and with like, an opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might be I'm biased, thinking. but I see it as just this big urinal. <laughs> oh, well, they're not urinal, but like a big um, outhouse. Out, yeah, like an outhouse or something. Oh, what if it was just like us, like a rectangular outhouse? Yeah, that'd be <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. Um, spoilers, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, they they see the the secret, and you know everybody is confused. Um, and this is when they get kicked out by the guards, and uh, they're they're all leaving the base, disappointed horses, sad horses. And Axe is just about to let slip what it actually was when, like, Bugfighter appears out of nowhere, cuts him off. I hate when when the books do this. I hate. Yeah. Why can't a character just finish their sentence ever? <laughs> Guys, I'm about to tell you it's a toilet. Like he could To be fair, know, it's Axe, and he's like timid still around the humans and all that. I guess, but you know, valuable information, whatever. Um, this is a bug fighter appears, and who should, of course, you know, walk down the ramp? But Visor Three. I've made my peace with Visor Three showing up every single time. Obviously, we're pretty early in the invasion, and there's not a lot of these missions and stuff going on. And Visor Three guess, is directly, yeah. and he's directly overseeing the Earth stuff, and the Earth stuff continually gets messed up by the Andalite bandits, so why wouldn't he go on every yeah, single Yeah, he's got even more reason, I suppose. He's yeah. just, he's not getting any smarter, though. <laughs> he's not. He's well, he's and... not any smarter than when he was Subvisor 7. <laughs> right, yeah, Subvisor 32. Yeah. Um, because he, you know, goes to interrogate his horse controllers here, and he just gets pissed off and ends up killing the one in charge, which is sad, sad face. Yeah, I actually didn't think about that. Like, when they were doing it, I was like, uh, his tail blade goes to the horse's neck. And I was like, oh, they did that because the books don't want to go overboard and kill a horse. And then he kills the horse. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. He, he straight up kills his horse. And then he's like, oh, I'm so angry. And now this guy's dead. I'm going to worry about this. Sir Gregor Cleagland over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he tells, you know, the other horses they've got to 
go through with their backup plan and figure out what this this thing is or he's going to kill the rest of them. Yeah, and he mentions, you know, making a few select employees of Zone 91 uh, controllers. Yeah, yeah, he hints that they, they've got other plans here. And um, he's also very confused as to why there are all these other horses around them. And the, uh, the, the horse controllers kind of explain how the group uh, or the horses are herd animals and this is actually like... this is actually a scene that comes up pretty often where the visitor three shows up when there's other yurks there visitor three notices some animal in the background yeah and he's like hey that's an andalite bandit and all the other yurks are like what what really you think so is it maybe he's <laughs> like and then visitor three doesn't immediately kill it he's like okay let's kill it but he's just waiting to see if it reacts and you then... gotta, you gotta think about this from Visitor Three's point of view, though, dude. He's got bags under his eyes because he can't sleep at night because every single animal he sees when he's on Earth, he's like, oh, oh, "How do I bend it?" Like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's tons <laughs> of times where he's like walking down, you know, some other yerk conference room or something. Right, and he sees like... like a bunch of he sees like a bunch of like uh, dogs on leashes by owners or something. Uh, yeah, and he's like, "Andalite bandits." Dude, he's, he's, he's standing out in the alley on a smoke break and he sees like a sparrow fly by and he like jumps and squeals like a girl. <laughs> We're not seeing all the, oh, not to mention, like there's probably times where Visitor 3 just like comes down to earth to go into like an animal shelter just so he can kill everything. <laughs> just, that's, how, that's nowadays how I'm doing my part. Yeah. If I kill all the animals, then I'll know when the Andalite bandits are here. Because there right. won't be any other animals. Yeah, so he, he makes the... Uh, well, and it's kind of funny here, because he's almost fooled for a second. He's like, we gotta kill these horses. And then Cassie just full-on dumps right in front of him. Cassie is the one who will step up and take the dump when it's needed. It's not a lot of, you know, young adult book series where you actually have the main character take a dump and it's, like, written about. No, it almost never happens. In I fact, would say the, this the might bathroom be the... activity is widely ignored by most media. <laughs> this actually might be the only young adult series in the world where the a narrating character... character talks about taking a dump. Yeah, it happens in the first person's perspective. Right. Well, even though she only says, I did what horses do, you know. Yeah, but you we know, still know we what knew, she was doing. We know what's going it, on. And it fools Visitor Three for a second. He's like, "Oh, I guess they are wild horses." <laughs> oh, kill we'll them still anyway. kill them anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, everybody breaks it out okay anyway because it's still the midpoint of the book. Yeah, they charge them and surprise them and somehow get away. Yeah, they outrun the Horkbajir, even though Horkbajir are shown to be pretty fast in the scene. It's kind of cool. Yeah, they are, and they even mention how fast they are, but Cassie, specifically, she's in this, like, this, you know, racing horse, this stallion yeah. body, and she's like, I ain't taking shit from no Horkbajir. I like how they reference, uh, like, Cassie asks Rachel, because Rachel's had a Horkbajir more before. She's oh, like, yeah, yeah, that's a cool little throwback. Yeah, it's a nice little, little side note that not, I don't think a lot of books would do something like that. Well, there's, they, they, they're pretty self-referential. Yeah, I just I like that about the whole series. Yeah, well, and you know, here Cassie <laughs> uses the. This is where the 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 front cover quote "Never underestimate the power of a morph" comes into play here because she full on like kicks the the Hork-Bajir, and she even mentions like, "Oh, I got totally lucky, lucky because I can't see a thing with these horse eyes." Yeah. But, <laughs> um. She kicks its butt and everybody runs away. And as soon as they're like out of the danger zone, 
acts, you know, oh, by the way, I was uh, in the middle of telling you guys something, that uh, that thing back there is uh, just a toilet. It's, it's a dome toilet. ship, Andalite dome ship toilet. Portable Like an toilet. older model. They, uh, they supposedly eject them into, like, suns and stars to destroy them, but this one apparently got off course and wound up conveniently on Earth. Yep. It's convenient. Convenient. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's all interesting. And the way they react, the way the Animorphs react to this is is the most interesting thing because um, they say in the book what a lot of fans of the series say about this book in general. Like the Animorphs themselves say, we've had a lot of important missions. We've done a lot of important things to stop the Yerks. This isn't one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They, they flat out admit, like, we don't know what the point of this book is. And I'll admit, like, when I got to this point, I was like, so... Why is there still going to be more book? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is this not the end? Because cause this is how I thought of this book up to this point, where I was like, it's just a book. It's kind of funny. Uh, it's kind of just a big joke book. But once I got to this point, I was like, wait, there's still like, you know, 70 pages left. What's going on? Yeah, I know. Um, I, I have a, uh, I guess, a way that I would uh, change the book as well. But I'll, I'll go through that when I'm giving my actual review. Yeah. So um, I was just going to say that uh, that's where I thought the book could have ended, except that in the next chapter we get this scene where Cassie goes home, and uh, there's there's you know good interaction here with her parents again, where they're trying to be stern with her about her you know being out late and stuff, and they're totally about to like figure her out or whatever when she's like I was out with uh, Rachel and and Jake, she kind of just lets it slip, and. Instantly, the parents go into this whole, like, embarrassing, kind of awkward. They're uh, about to have a sex talk with her, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of entertaining stuff. It's good stuff. And, and uh, it's, it's even better, though, when Cassie leaves and kind of comes back and listens to them. And the parents are talking, like, very cordially to each other about how they could... They can't really punish her because she's a good daughter. Yeah, and she already works so hard. They're like, we can't, we can't do anything more to her. <laughs> but we can embarrass her, and that's right. punishment enough. And yeah, they, they it's even... a good Cassie's parents scene and a good Cassie scene too. Well, it lets you know just more about how cool Cassie's parents really are. They're they're the kind of parents that are like, we have a cool daughter. We know we do. <laughs> yeah, and um, after this, we have Cassie. She gets her, you know midnight snack or whatever and goes upstairs right. she falls asleep and uh this is where the book really turns around well, because she didn't fall asleep did she yeah she falls asleep because she wakes up at like three in the morning oh she she bolts upright at like three in the morning um so this is really where the book turns around because up to this point like i liked how it started i liked the whole zone 91 stuff this book really petered off and when the book itself said hey, this book is worthless, it's a joke book, like, I lost all interest. I was like, okay, sweet, thank you for that for telling me that. But when she bolted up right and actually, in my mind, gave purpose to everything, it made it made the book more exciting for this instantly. Like, well, I, yeah. this it, whole book was a roller coaster of emotions. I, at one point, I was thinking, I'm going to really hate it. At one point, I was like, oh, this is really turning around. I like the Cassie stuff, but there wasn't so much of it. And at this point, when she realizes that uh, that the Yurks are not going to allow humans to have any proof of alien life, the whole mission just got way more serious, and it's actually an interesting mission. Yeah, and it definitely answered my question of why there is still book. 
Yeah, because <laughs> it's like the the animals shrug it off. They're like, "Oh, it's an Andalite toilet. What's the worst the Yurks could do?" Yeah, well, yeah, and that they was could my kill thoughts. and maim a ton of people to make sure, even if they don't know what it is, the fact that humans have alien technology, they don't want humans, and it ties into what makes me more the most interesting in this series is the idea of a what would aliens do in this kind of parasitic invasion body uh, invasion of the body snatchers style of invasion, uh, and this this ties directly into that mythology of okay, you found an alien toilet. That's cool. That's funny. Ha ha. We're going to kill all of you so this secret doesn't get out, no matter what the secret is. <laughs> well, it's funny that the mission kind of turns into stopping the aliens, stop the humans who are trying to stop the aliens from finding out about aliens. Wait a minute. And humans? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a doozy. It's going where I didn't see this ending coming. I had no idea where this was going. I've, truly. You haven't read this book before? No. I have read this book before, and I don't remember any of this last part. Wow. Okay. Well, this is this is an action-packed final sort of listen, uh, scene here. Listen, I want to talk directly to the fans right now. All right? I'm talking to you guys, you listeners. Which I blame you completely for me not remembering this part of the book. Because you guys sit on the forums and you sit on Reddit and you go on and on about, oh, book 14, it's just a big joke book with the Andalite toilet. Like, I forgot about this whole part of the book that makes it way more interesting and engaging because of that common trope about this book and joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know. It's it's entertaining. I'll give you yeah. that much. Um, so this is the Animorphs going back to the gardens because they know that um, the the uh, military base is planning on taking their field trip there because Cassie figured that one out. Because military and, bases take field trips, apparently. Yeah, well, you know, they, well, they do special events and stuff. Okay. Especially when you think that their base is described as being such a boring place where nothing's really happening, though people yeah, think it is. Yeah, boring alien technology they have a hold of. Well, besides that, they can't even figure out what it is. <laughs> I mean, what if they cracked it open, you know, and they're, like, digging through Andalite excrement? Like, what is this mysterious substance? <laughs> <laughs> tasting it and trying to figure out if it's a food source. <laughs> it's not toxic. Uh, I, you imagine, would, do you think it'd be like, uh, like, like, uh, Oh, no, I can't even say Why that. does this substance taste like hooves and grass? No, I was going to say, do you think it'd be, like, full-on, like, turds, or do you think it'd be pellets? <laughs> That's an interesting point, actually. Because you've got the horse there, but you've also got the deer portion. Right. Who knows? Just giant, slimy pellets. They're probably, like, Butterfinger BBs, which I don't think they make anymore, but I want some. <laughs> oh, those are so good. I think you can only get them at, like, movie theaters. No, they, they make Butterfinger Bites. Yeah, I'm way off now. topic. BBs are gone. I know, and the BBs are the best. Well, anyway, uh, we've got an action scene at the gardens of all places, which, um, you know, gardens, it's its definitely overutilized by the series, but not... I'm glad to be back. I'm glad every time we've had <laughs> any kind of action scene at the gardens, especially this time where we're not in the animal habitats, we're into the uh, roller coaster section. Right, yeah, because the gardens is conveniently, it's everything they need, ever. It's, I'm okay I'm, with it. Every <laughs> every single book, go back to the gardens. I'm, I'm pretty okay sure they, they launch a rocket into space from the gardens in one book. <laughs> um, so yeah, they go back and they basically, very quickly, probably a little too quickly for logical sense, 
uh, figure out that if the Yurks are attacking these people anywhere, it's going to be either on the Log Flume ride, which has a tunnel, like a dark tunnel, or the Haunted House ride, which is mostly enclosed. Oh, but... I would assume a lot more places you could capture people in a theme park, but All right, the book's yeah. trying to streamline it. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, however, you skipped over one important fact of the matter, is that when they arrived there, they thought they would be having, like, an hour or two to, you know, kind of just scope the place out and figure mm-hmm. out a plan. But because Cassie read the military time on the sign-up sheet incorrectly, um, they are now late, and yep. everyone's already there. And I liked get, that. We get, I liked that they were late to, to a really mission? important thing. <laughs> like, it was just, like, such an offhand way to handle it, but it's something teenagers would do. <laughs> right, yeah. And But what I like here is that Marco... Um, gives this method of uh, determining um, determining military time. Subtract 12 hours. Just subtract 12, yeah, which is yeah. something I'd never actually thought about. Yep. So, All those years of full sale where we had to do everything in military time, and you're just now figuring that out. Well, because I've converted back. Um, <coughs> but yeah, the, you know, Marco's <coughs> teaching me lessons here. Yep. Um, so the team splits up, you know, half of them go to the log ride, and half of them go to the House of Horrors. Um, and we've got, we follow Cassie, Marco, and Jake doing the log ride. And of course, out of convenience, they happen to run into Captain Torelli and yeah. <laughs> um, he immediately recognizes two of their voices and is like, hey, you kids, we're going to arrest you. They jump out of the log ride and I was yeah, actually scared this entire time. I was like, it's a ballsy I'm, move. I'm a big theme park person. You jump out of a log ride that has a big hill. Oh my gosh! There's so many ways you could die in the water I know. around. I know, and that's like why that's why that and... this made this kind of a cool scene because yeah, they jump out of the log ride to evade this Captain Torelli, and they're slushing down the uh, the water track, and they end up, you know, going down the huge drop off, which I imagine being like, uh, like like the uh, Jurassic Park ride at Universal in Orlando. Well, that one would definitely kill you. Like I'm... that, they were like shooting down it. this whole time i pictured uh splash mountain and how that is because i've actually had to get off that ride like several times because it breaks down all the time at disney world so like multiple times throughout my life of going there so many times um we've had to get off at the top of splash mountain like walk down the stairs because it broke really? down while we were on it <laughs> oh, that sucks yeah so they, they they go down this huge drop off and Everybody, uh, you know, makes it out okay, and Torelli, I guess, is, like, fumbling around in the water like a I love, Stooges real quick, movie. I love when they're still on the ride that, um, you know, they can't go anywhere for the most part, and Torelli's like, you could stay there, blah, blah, blah. At one point, Marco just resigns to his fate, and he's like, hey, man, we're not on a military Like He turns around to Torelli. He's like, hey, man, we're not on a military base. We, you can't really arrest us. I mean, we're, we're just out in the public. And Torelli pulls out his cell phone, calls up Garden Security, and is like, code C9-Alpha-24, get some guards out here. <laughs> right. Uh, I like Marco's little uh, quip when they when they get off this whole water ride thing. He goes, you know, basically that was fun, Marco said. If you set aside the whole could-have-been-crushed-by-a-logboat thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, good times. So... And then they, they rush on over to the House of Horrors. Yeah, because they they went through the tunnel at the log ride, and there was nothing there, so. Yep. Yep, so they go to the House of Horrors, they get into that ride. uh, Oh, wait a minute, I want to point out here uh, another neat thing that, you know, this is kind of a throwback, uh, uh, an Animorph series trope here. Uh, We get them, we get a character summarizing the craziness of the mission they're on. Marco specifically does it. 
Yeah. No, um, this time it's Cassie, actually, who says, um, we have to figure out if the Yurks are using the House of Horrors to kidnap and infest guys from Zone 91. Even though we don't know if the Yurks will be plain old human controllers or hork or whatever, I said. And in the meantime, I concluded, we have to avoid getting arrested by an Air Force captain who is frantically trying to protect the most secret place on Earth where they are hiding an Andalite toilet. <laughs> yeah, like, and then after that, Marco says, like, can I just point out that this is insane? Like, totally Yeah, insane. exactly. And then we've got, you know, another character pointing out how crazy they're saying. And Marco specifically says, come along, my wacko friends. <laughs> no, Jake says that. Oh, Jake but, says, um, Marco says... Uh, Marco says we could be... Uh, this is uh, Ben, our other friend. His greatest fear in life is that he's living... Uh, he's actually an insane person who's experiencing the world around him uh, hallucinogenically. So that's what this is. That's what Marco brings up right now. He's like, they could be in an insane asylum, and they're just experiencing this crazy missions and aliens and everything, and not even know it, um, which is hilarious and terrifying at the same time. But so yeah, so Jake's like, okay, we'll come along, my wacko friends, and they they run off to the haunted mansion, the House of Horrors. Yes, right. and this turns into a wacky cartoon chase because <laughs> they. They, it's it's very Scooby Doo esque where they run in, kind of yeah. They jump into one of the egg uh, carts because I pictured exactly like the haunted mansion. Oh, and the things spin around every once in a while when they're going through uh, through the ride and spook yeah. things. And when they spin around, there's Torelli in a cart with two guards next to him, uh, just like <laughs> <laughs> chasing them on the ride. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. And then they, you know, they spin into one room. And there's just, I, I actually like this. I think this would be great as a cartoon even. Or real live action would be kind of weird. But awesome. as a cartoon, it works cool. Because there's a grizzly bear and it's holding a hawk on one arm and a rattlesnake on the other. And we know who that is. And um, they're all in their battle morphs. And we also see Visor 3 and the hork are in there. And I imagine it like, you know, there's like a strobe light going off. And they're all just slowly creeping through the house of horrors and everyone thinks it's all just part of the ride now i don't know if i buy visitor three being in a room with a grizzly bear a snake and a hawk that he's been attacked by multiple times at this point and thinking oh that's probably just part of the ride well it sounds like it's a pretty confusing place and they might not you know necessarily be able to see everything that's happening that's in true. there and he might yeah. not be able to see them because he's focusing on these humans i picture them standing side by side and visitor three is just oblivious <laughs> That could be too. Um, right. Uh, da, da, da. Then, you know, everybody's in their battle morphs and they're, they're fighting. And I thought this was actually really cool. This is a cool concept and it would be really cool to see on screen of the rest of the team, uh, Marco, Cassie, and Jake, all taking their battle morphs. But it's like in this horror house setting where there's all these, you know, horror house sound effects. There's fog machines going off. A strobe light, I thought, would make it really cool visually because every time the light flashes, they're in a different sort of state of the transformation. It'd be like that scene in Kick-Ass where Hit Girl's running around uh, killing a bunch of guys and it's strobe lighting and you can barely see what she's doing, but it flashes every moment. Yeah, uh, kind of. Also, a similar scene in Dark Knight Rises where Batman's like running down a hallway and it's strobing light and you only see him every five seconds. Right, yeah. Well, it's just, it's it's a cooler visual scene that you have to really think about how cool it would look. Yeah. And, of course, and this is, I don't know if I subconsciously wrote this into uh, our 35mm project at Full Sail, 
but the fact that while this action is going on, this ridiculous action, there's still carts with Taurus coming. Oh yeah, through. everyone's watching this, and in fact, it gets it's it gets even more ridiculous. <laughs> it's exactly like parts nine to five. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that short you wrote. Um, yeah. Anyway, they they all end up running. They take their battle, you know, out of the horror house. Horror house. And they're, they're running through the gardens. I want to read and... that book. <laughs> Axes trip to the horrors. <laughs> they end up running straight into, like, the Macy's Day Parade going on in the gardens. Well, no, this is, like, at Disney World and stuff, uh, every night before, like, fireworks and stuff, they have this huge parade that comes down Main Street and circles uh-huh. around. It's, like, a, it's a big theme park thing. Uh, I actually, this is my last note for the book. This is a big deal to me. I want to take a moment. So this parade comes down, and Cassie specifically talks about seeing Tweety Bird. Uh, oh, yeah. There's even more Bugs Bunny. References. Daffy Duck. Uh, she sees all these Looney Tunes characters. I would just like to say, in this book full of aliens and horses being taken over and all this stuff, this is the most unrealistic thing in the book. Looney that- Tunes has a contract with the Six Flags Amusement Parks it's an exclusive contract. They can't be showcased in any other park in the that... world besides Six Flags. So the Guardians would have no way to get a hold of the rights to Looney Tunes characters for their park. You know what? Maybe the Gardens also had its name changed and it was just... A... Except Six Flags don't have a zoological park. Maybe the it's Gardens... a new version of Six no, Flags if the Gardens is anything, the If the Gardens is anything, it's Bush Gardens, which has a zoo slash... Yeah, theme park. yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. They're probably all drinking beer. <laughs> I didn't make that connection until later in my life, by the way, that Bush Gardens is owned Neither did Bush. I until I went there and saw that it was like Anheuser-Busch <laughs> yeah. Gardens. Like, what? Because when I think of kids, I think about getting blasted on roller coasters. <laughs> <laughs> right, while looking at some giraffes. <laughs> you know that's kind of sad giraffe is one morph that i don't think they will ever experience in the book series i don't sure? think they ever do giraffe morph are you sure I'm, i don't know if why know would they, why would they why Maybe they need to get some leaves <laughs> that the yurks want at a really tall branch <laughs> i don't know i'm just saying giraffe morph make it happen i don't think they ever go koala either or drop bear for that matter i don't i haven't read the book where cassie goes to australia so i don't know i don't know what oh my gosh i hope there is one uh what? Is there one? You you don't know about that? Yeah, no. Cassie's Outback Adventure. No, I don't know about that at all. <laughs> it's the only... It's the, the one with Cassie morphing into a kangaroo on the cover. Oh, okay. Well, now that makes sense, but I don't know if I've gotten that book yet. That might be one I'm missing. Oh, okay. Yeah, well... Cassie I didn't know. Well, then she probably does morph a koala at some point or something. It could happen. I don't know. Um, I just want to point out how ridiculous it is here that they're out fighting like hork and all the animals cassie specifically mentions how she's a wolf and she's running through the crowd and people think she's people a dog. petting her yeah yeah the, the, all the 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 crowd here thinks that it's just part of the show and um again you know it's pretty convenient i'm sorry people do not just see a dog especially a big dog which she's not even a big dog she's a full-on full-bred wolf people do not see a big wolf or any kind of dog bounding at them and assume the best and just start petting it. In any scenario, if a big, scary-looking dog runs towards any family member or anything, people get out of the way. They don't just let it through and start petting it. 
Yeah, for the most part. Well, some people are really stupid too. Some kids in particular are really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So they're they're. It's not much of a battle, really. It's more about the uh, the location than the fight. Yeah, they're all pivoting around each other and just trying to get through the crowd and yeah, trying to run away. Because Cassie manages to use her wolf nose to like track down the captain because Visor Three's got him and he's almost escaped, but. Cassie stops him, rescues the captain, Visor gets away, as usual, and, you know, it, it, nothing really happened. I do um, like that the uh, the alien bugfighters, um, they were hidden in on top of an alien ride. Oh, yeah, kind of and a so neat they, touch. So they fly off. Sort of like uh, sort of like Men in Black. <laughs> yeah, and there's even a kid and his grandpa or something who are like, Oh, yeah. That's, like, not what, that's not what alien spaceships look like. That looks fake, and this... And the dad's like, I was abducted by Skritna, and that's not what their ships look like. <laughs> right. He doesn't say that, but I'm assuming. No, but it's like, yeah, they, they chose to end this uh, this whole scene on kind of a joke. And not even a joke between the, the main characters. A joke between some side characters. Yeah. Weird. Um, weird way to end it. But then, and then there's just one last scene here where everyone's gathered at Cassie's barn to kind of discuss the story, discuss the book. <laughs> they have their own review of the book here. <laughs> yeah. And they basically all just agree that, you know, well, the Yerks are probably going to keep going after Zone 91 in the toilet there, but I guess we'll just leave them? I don't know. It's nice to have a side project. I think they're just saying that that the Zone 91 guards, A, they're probably going to move the alien device at this point, and B, uh, even if they do keep it there, they're going to ramp up their security, so the problem solves itself. Yeah, I, I guess so. That's one way of thinking about it. I would think that the Yerks are, you know crafty and they could come up with something else and they are kind of running the risk here of putting these people in danger again but well they also they can't, they can't that... really stop to think about you know defending just small particular well it does make sense too because visitor's not gonna he's not gonna run in there um and steamroll the place because that would be a biggest that'd be a bigger indicator you know attacking a government facility that that's too risky for their invasion purposes no, so I know. So now I think it's just a matter of um, there aren't too many downsides to letting the the Yerks just play around with this base and try to figure things out. No, like they said, it, it'll keep them distracted. And that's basically how this, this book ends. It's just this kind of uh, joking, like, you know, we didn't really accomplish anything, but we didn't die, and I think we had fun in some spots. <laughs> <laughs> that log flume was all right. Yeah, so, and that that's just how this book ends. Okay. We are ready for reviews, sir. Wondering which roller coaster has the highest top speed or what exhibit is our guide's favorite in the park? Just ask them. They love to share their opinions and critical analysis to help you better plan your day. Well, I'm sure that you and I will have uh, kind of differing opinions here. I don't know. Maybe. I have no um, idea. So, having never read this book before... The only thing I knew going into this was that, yeah, they use horse morphs to sneak onto this Area 51 base and discover an Andalite toilet. That's all I knew. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. I had a good time diving into the unknown. Um, this, this book, to me, harkened back to the reaction. That's kind of what it felt like. I thought all the characters were written, you know, exactly as they should be. Everyone was spot on. Even if Marco was acting like a dick, I still loved him. <laughs> he's, he's still a great guy. Um, 
it, it we had character development. We had you know introductions of um, Cassie's parents, more and more about them. We had entertaining side characters. Um, there's you could even go as far as to theorize a romantic subplot forming between Marco and Tobias and and Rachel. There's there's a kind of love triangle you could read into. And Mark Ruffalo. If you're the majority of the fans, I assume, now that we're all older. Um, We get new locations in the book. That's always kind of interesting to see. Um, There's so many sci-fi references and just jargon. It's really, it's it's a book written for nerds like us. Really. This is what it it caters to. Um, So there's, there's just a lot of good things. It's a fun book. It's entertaining. The bad things about it, if I would even call this bad... Um, it is a very slow burn of a book. Um, you don't really know where the plot's going at all. It, it's very meandering. Um, and it's kind of hard to figure out for that reason. Uh, so, so much of I would say 95% of this book all relies on complete coincidence. Uh, even so, with writing that relies entirely on coincidence... I still enjoy the entire thing, and I, I, I didn't think, I didn't complain about it. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's obvious filler. It doesn't advance the story at all. You could dock it points for that if you wanted, but filler in a, in a sixty book series is gonna happen. It's gonna occur, and when it does, I want it to be like this book because it was enjoyable. Um, so yeah, that's really my review. I had a good time for, for it being the first Animorphs book that I never read. I am now happy to say that I have added the unknown to my list of known Animorphs books. Um, so yeah, I am going to give this one a 3 out of 4 Minneapolis Maxes. 3 out of 4? Yes, a 3 out of 4. I think a 3 is a solid, average Animorphs book. That's what that's what each Animorphs book should strive to I'm be. I'm just confused because you gave it a 3 out of 4 when we or rate a three out on of five, a 5. Sorry, 3 out of 5. Star rating. <laughs> I'm starting my own new rating. <laughs> nah, 3 out of 5. I thought you were going for a 5, or not 5, but a 4 at that point. What you're no, about. no. 4s um, are definitely reserved for stuff that is like necessary to the series. So, I was really conflicted with this book. This is the first review where I've been like, I don't like this book. I like this book. I don't like this book. I like this book. <laughs> uh, just reading throughout the entire thing. It didn't help also that I had uh, a decent sized gap in between when I read like the first half and then the second half. I finished the second half like 20 minutes before this, <laughs> before we started recording. Um, so I was really conflicted. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know what I was going to give it until we talked about it more and went through it. And uh, for the most part, what I like about this book is such a better Cassie book. Just much better writing for her. We're starting to see the character she should be. Um, her family is interesting. She's interesting. She's not as pompous as she's been before or beating you over the head with an environmental message. She's being a real character now. She's being a personality that we want to know more about and are interested in. Um, on top of that, this book's concept, the whole Zone 91 and all the alien stuff and uh, the idea of you know, humans being obsessed with this Andalite toilet and not knowing what it is. All these concepts are great. These are good stuff. Great stuff all around. Um, and one of the big surprises for me was I forgot that after the Zone 91 alien toilet stuff is we have this whole great scene 
uh, trouncing around rides at the gardens. Big fan of all of that. Great story points, all that stuff. Could have streamlined the middle section of the book a little bit. I didn't care for the racetrack at all. Just didn't care. Thought it was a stupid subplot that they just ran off with for some reason. Uh, I think they just wanted to shoehorn it in for the sake of having them go to a Kentucky Derby or something. I don't know. Didn't like that. But for the most part, I like all the concepts and the outline of this book and where it's, you know, the story is trying to tell. Um, I didn't really, until this point, I really didn't really come to the conclusion that uh, while the writing is good in this book, it's not bad writing, really. Um, it's just It's just too in the middle it's it's not mediocre or anything but it's 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 not that interesting of a story like you said it doesn't serve too much of a purpose i liked that they almost gave it a purpose with the fact that cassie had this uh you know illuminating idea that oh my gosh the yurks are going to do whatever it takes to keep the secret but then they backpedal on that at the end at the end they're just like you know okay they'll figure it out it'll fix itself and they don't give it much more thought. So if they would have had a really good ending as far as like actually solving something, uh, this could have been a really cool turnaround for this book and and made you know justified the rest of it. Uh, but it's too just overall. I would call the book meandering. It's very meandering. Uh, I don't know if that's just because they have a horse on the front. If that really <laughs> put them in the mood to just trot along uh, with a story, but. That's what it was. It wasn't. It wasn't as good as the reaction in my in my mind. The reaction was more fun. It was funnier. Uh, there's not a lot of jokes in this. There's not a lot of. There's not a lot going on. There's just some good moments. So, I was gonna give this a three. I think I'm down to a two. As as, as many parts of this book that I liked, uh, I wouldn't call it super bad or anything. It's a high two, but yeah, it's two out of five phrases in Gallard for me. <laughs> Okay, I want to touch on something that you you brought up, and this is a very good point. I left, I forgot this in my review. This book made me feel like I knew Cassie now as as a more of a character because she's turning into not necessarily like the brains of the group because she still says really stupid things like <laughs> to get out of like social situations. She's not really the go-to person, but she's still also the one that most of the Animorphs depend on to make these kind of, like, calls for them. So she's becoming almost like the caretaker, like the mom she's, of the group, kind she's of. She's the conscience of the group. She's the yeah, moral well, compass. Yes, kind of. But she's also, like, the one that they, they all know she's, like, the more mature and, like, honest and hardworking one of the group, so... They rely on her for like things like that. And I like I like that the other Andalites see her or not the other Andalites, <laughs> the other Animorphs see her that way, and yet she's still a scared, awkward girl. Like we know her in her mind, that's what she's feeling. Yet she still fills that role really well. That's a great um you know, two sides of her that, that are going on all at once. That's that's well written. Well yeah, basically I, I just I like this side of Cassie. I wanna see more of this from Cassie. I wanna see her becoming the the moral compass and not just in an annoying well we gotta save the animals kind of way, like actually making big decisions and, and you know, taking care of the I group. mean that's that's one of the biggest plot points of the series, is her making a big decision and being right and it completely separating her from the rest of the animals. So I mean that's 
this is what we this is what we want to see out of Cassie. This is what makes her most one of the most interesting characters in the entire series. Well, yeah, and this is what made me excited for her next book, number nineteen, another one that I haven't read, so, which is is considered one of her best books, if not her right. best book. Yeah, yeah. So I totally want to read that now. I'm very excited for that one. I'm also very excited for the escape coming next time on Thoughtspeak. Yeah. So <laughs> we can agree for some reason. I mean. I think we both kind of liked the book, you especially. Um, I was I just pleasantly surprised. I can't critically give it anything higher than a two. It's well, too. It's too I all over the place. Give it a three, and I will defend it to my death, sir. I hope. Yeah, I hope that's soon. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm joking. All right. Shall we segue to the trivia section? There are some fun facts about the gardens that normal visitors don't usually get to hear. Don't worry, though. Your guides know all of the secrets this park has to offer, and they're dying to tell them to you. Such a happy segue when we come into this trivia section here, and the very first bit of trivia uh, is at the uh, beginning of every book here. All books after The Unknown were dedicated to Applegate's son, Jake, as well as her husband and co-writer, Michael. Her son was born premature in 1997, and she worked on the Animorph series at night in the lobby of the hospital where he was in neonatal intensive care. That is some depressing shite right there. I didn't and you know, know that what? at all. <laughs> Applegate worked on these books, you know, under such dire situation like that. Uh, I mean, my, uh, my, my dog throws up on the carpet, and I'm like, I better, I can't, I can't write today, I better sit here and make sure he's okay uh so kudos i mean that's it's dedication that's why applegate is you know where she is today that's why she's such an amazing author i think that you know dark situation probably informed the series a little bit too definitely Um, uh especially when we're going into the escape another very very emotionally charged marco book that's all about a mother and her son right yeah radio I can't say. I mean, it sucks that she went through that. I didn't. I didn't know anything about that. That's pretty terrible. Yeah, and that's why every book from here on out will be dedicated to Jake and Michael. Hmm. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, um, I knew, yeah, what else you got? Stuff. Is there uh, more? Yeah, there's more. Oh yeah. It is assumed that the horse featured on this cover is Minneapolis Max, and not the horse that Cassie acquired as her first morph, which. <clears throat> which would make this the fifth book to feature a cover morph that was not acquired in the book, despite hmm. not fitting Max's description. So here's the point where we get to make fun of the uh, the uh, marketing team again, or at least the cover art team. Yeah, because because they didn't even get the right type of horse. This is like uh, in book two with the cat. Well, yeah. I always assumed I always assumed that this was the horse that she had, the horse morph she had all along, uh, because it's described as like a brown horse earlier. In the series, I thought. Oh, I know. Yeah, um, it, it very well could be. But, you know, by all accounts, it should be her Minneapolis second Max. horse morph. And, you know, it's like... Isn't that ridiculous really... that she has two horse morphs? <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, they didn't go into, like, how does she choose between which ones she picks, you know? Well, you I mean, picture, obviously, she just easy. pictures yeah. Minneapolis Max. But they could have made it a little bit more scientific than that. Like, she could have just turned into, like, a blank white horse and then, like, filled in the color. Like, oh, yeah, I gotta be... <laughs> well, no, they're, they're two very different types of horses, too. Her horse she has on her farm is probably more of a country, you know, farm horse. Whereas yeah, Minneapolis that would have been Max better like for a... sneaking onto the base. 
Yeah, that, that would have made more sense. The fact that they went and got racehorses makes no sense whatsoever. Well, them. yeah, I guess that's true, because they immediately point out, oh, yeah, we got to make them look dirty. And that's um, why you get the two out of five. <clears throat> also, just want to say, Minneapolis represent. Minneapolis uh, Max. Could not be a better uh, better name for this horse. <laughs> Uh, there's, you know, the, the standard, the front cover quote, never underestimate the power of a love. The inside front cover quote, which nobody really cares about, I certainly nope. don't care about him, is Born to Run. Who cares? <laughs> this is the first book in which all six of the Animorphs acquire the same new morph. Not necessarily. That's not technically true. That's not true at all, yeah. Because I mean, they, they, don't, they acquire, they don't acquire the same horse. Yeah. Seropedia, fix your shit. This yeah, is wrong. Yeah, there's tons of other horses, or there's tons of other books where they all acquire well, no, this is the same this animal. This is the first book in which all six of the Animorphs acquire the same new morph. That's, it's, it's, it's I'm just, calling shenanigans on that. It's not technically true, because they're not yeah. all doing the same horse. So sorry. Shenanigans. Now, if you say that this is the first book where all of them acquire the same species of morph, hey, there you go. Fix it, Seropedia. I still call Fix shenanigans. It. They've they've all been cockroaches before. They didn't Tobias. all get them in the same book though, did they? No, they Tobias must've. didn't. Did they? It's because of Tobias. He's messing up everything. Oh yeah, it's Tobias screws up the format, right? Um, Zone ninety one is an obvious reference to Area fifty one. Uh, we've got Gondor Industries, which is the name the uh, the gardens. Military, yeah, the military uses at the gardens is a likely reference to the Third Age Kingdom of Gondor from The Lord of the Rings, The Return of, of the King. Kay Applegate frequently used similar names from the LOTR series in Animorphs book series. Uh, oh, yeah, like that one time they went to uh, uh, Aragorn, you know, Enterprises fight there. Oh, I don't remember that. Well, I that was in book seven, up. wasn't it? I just made that up. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. Just like the time and they went to Gandalf restaurant. Here, here is where we settle this uh, this owl morph debate. By the way, because it is said that every animorph but Tobias uses an owl morph. However, only Cassie and Rachel acquired an owl morph, and that was back in the capture. The others never use owl morph again, and act as if they do not even have it. And this is brought up because they're they're talking about. Um, how they should fly somewhere. I'm going to put a picking... stop to this right now, okay? What? We don't need to have this discussion ever again. <laughs> Just because the book didn't show them get Alamorphs doesn't mean anything, especially now that we've seen them all use Alamorphs. I don't know why there's any discussion on this, that people would just get their panties in a twist because we didn't have a whole seven pages devoted to them all walking up slowly to an owl and, you know, getting it. Who cares? Well, no. I, I was I was gonna put this debate to rest as well because it's brought up because Jake says uh, we could use owl morph. That's it, and um, I think he was just saying that more theoretically. Like, obviously, if they had decided to go through with the owl morph plan, they would have gone and acquired them. So I think, yeah, maybe they don't have owl morphs, but no, they, they do. do. We just didn't see it, and that was just a weird phrasing by Jake. Nothing more than that. Well, that could be it, too. Either way, end of trivia. Okay. All right, well, let's jump straight into emails. The Gardens is the most successful park of its kind because of visitors like you. 
filling out a feedback card is the best way to ensure your voice is heard, and any critique is encouraged to better improve our attractions and your future stays with us. What have we got on the email scope today? Well, our first email comes from Connell Sathy. Connell is that an Sathy. <laughs> I don't know. We're missing a third name, if that's the I case. know. <laughs> uh, Connell Sathy writes, I'm probably horribly mispronouncing that, so I'm sorry. Um, hey, Mitch and Coleman. First off, I love your podcast. I'm similar to you guys in that I'm a guy in my mid-20s who grew up reading Animal Wars as a kid. Like you guys, I skipped a few books when I read the series growing up, but a couple of years ago, I found the ebooks and actually read the entire series beginning to end. It was so much fun to read, and I didn't realize how dark and mature the series was. Haven't we all? I had a couple of comments. Not sure if you're aware of this, but when Kay Applegate was writing the book, she actually had a discussion forum on Scholastic's site where readers could ask her questions about the series. I remember there were a ton of questions on the site that Applegate responded to. My sister and I would actually spend hours reading her answers. Unfortunately, I actually don't remember the majority of Applegate's responses, though I do remember a couple. One person asked Applegate why the Animorphs couldn't morph dinosaurs after Megamorphs number two, and she admitted the fact that there's not really a good reason other than that she didn't want them to morph dinosaurs in later books. Another person asked whether Andalites could swim, and she just responded, throw axe in a lake and find out. <laughs> <laughs> though, though these responses are not really that enlightening i do remember her actually getting deeper into how z-space worked morphing technology and information on the different alien species um he goes on to talk about uh our he just finished book number 13 um he wanted to talk about since tobias since he is in hawk morph that's his main uh you know form does he have a lifespan of a hawk or does he have a lifespan of a human um, I think this is solved later in the series. Doesn't it say something that he uh, he's actually like way too old at the end of the series for a normal hawk or something? Uh, I don't. My memory's not that great on that. Yeah, and he asked the question that we've been asked multiple times: the fact that uh, Rachel's going to continue to get older and his morph's going to stay at you know an eleven, twelve year old kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, he says, I love hearing your guys' thoughts about the, each book, so really appreciate you guys for making this podcast. Keep them coming. P.S. I really hope they do an Animorphs movie slash a better TV, slow, uh, TV show slash a new spinoff series, and if they don't, you guys should totally do it. Smiley face. Oh, good. Well, at least we've got one person's support. Yep. Now all we need is Scholastic. <laughs> we need a Twitter campaign slash hashtag for us to write a sequel series to the book. Hashtag, bringing it back. Hashtag, Rachel comes back. Well, that's cool. I'm glad that people are finally getting around to thinking that we're useful for things, because, yeah, we've got ideas, man. And we're not just, you know, fans of the series. We're professional writers. So, just throwing that out there. Uh, so, our next email comes from Richard Bradley, who subject-lined it, Awesome Podcast. Sweet. Hey guys, I listen to a lot of podcasts at work, and I but I really look forward to yours. I love the casual nature of your views. It feels like I'm just hanging out with old friends who want to nerd out over childhood sci-fi, which I suppose is exactly what the podcast is. One thing I would love to hear more of is that is what you two would personally change in each novel. It sounds like you both have experience in film or writing in general. We do. I think you could add a segment where you propose changes to each novel that address your complaints, like ways to reduce reliance on coincidence and deus ex machinas, or discussion of scenes that didn't work and what could have fixed them. Regardless, keep up the good work, Richard. P.S. It's not easy to find this email. Maybe I'm just oblivious, but is it on the Meet Your Host Bodies page? 
<laughs> okay. To be fair, with the email, I give it out at the end of every single episode. Well, you know what it is? It's because it's not... Well, no, it is written. It's right on every... every... Do people actually mm-hmm. read the website? I mean, I no. put a lot of effort into typing those things every week. <laughs> people, read the website because our email address is on there. I promise you it's on there, but you got to do some reading. Really. Yeah, we, we put it in a lot of places. I don't blame him. He found it somehow, so. Well, yeah, it's not impossible. If you listen to the podcast, we say it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So that's it for emails. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's all we got. Cool. Well, I would just like to run through a few uh, Reddit comments, and uh, that should be it. Sure. Do we have a segue for that or not? Segue for... No, it's part of this. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, So, uh, friend of the show, Narrative Casualty, uh, over on the Reddit page, says, Oh my god, it's Christmas. It's just a shame I have to wait until tomorrow to hear it. Wow. What a a cliffhanger. Uh, Did he listen to it yet? I don't know. I don't know. He might not have made it to the next morning. He might have died out of excitement for the new episode. It could be. Come back to us, Narrative Casualty. Tell us what you thought. Tell us you're okay. <laughs> um, good old uh, friend of the show, jacking myself off, uh, says, I liked Nate. I actually wish he would have talked more, in fact. He seemed a bit quiet during many parts of the book summary until he was specifically asked a question. Yes, to be fair, um... Like us, Nate was, you know, that's his first podcast ever. And, you know, even us, we were quite awkward and and jilted back then. So we kind of wanted to guide the podcast episode in the right direction. um, I I thought we we utilized him, you know, at least a decent amount. Yeah, I was Um, calling on him a lot just because I wanted, I actually was interested in hearing what he had to say about a lot of stuff, so. Yeah, and uh, uh, jacking myself off. Goes on to say, regardless, the guest visiting host thing worked just fine, and I'd be happy to see Nate come back. Book 14 is cool. Thanks, checking myself off. Stuff just sort of happens, and it's all sort of dumb. And then the Animorphs all look at each other at the end and shrug like, well, that was pointless. Hilarious. (laughs) You know what? That's a very good summary. That that could have been... That could have been our whole summary and review. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Reddit user... Pigax? Pig Pigo? Pigax? I don't know how you pronounce that, sir. Mr. Pig. <laughs> this episode really worked. I think having a third voice improved the dynamic. I also like the perspective of someone who is mostly ignorant of the series and is not looking at it with nostalgia. Hopefully future episodes that focus on books Mitch and Coleman haven't read will have a similar approach. The new segues and intros were nice. The length is much more appro- appropriate and they were amusing. Maybe in a dozen episodes when they're looking to shake things up, they could record new segments that seem like sharing propaganda. Somebody's reading our minds. Somebody's thought speaking, yeah. thought reading. I'd just I like know. to say, damn you, Mr. For, Pig. Well, I could have just not read the comment. You could have. <laughs> I could edit this whole thing out, but I'm not going to. Although you got on here and you, you replied to him. so Yeah, basically, that's 100% what we're going to do. Once we get to uh, the next you know, switch over point or whatever we want to do. Whenever we want to redo these uh, t- opening segues and intros and all that stuff, oh, uh, yeah. I want the next one to be sharing propaganda or, or like a commercial more, for got, the sharing. We've got more ideas. we got a bag of tricks. Yeah, that's just one of them. them. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've got more. Maybe at the end of the series, we'll have some kind of military shout out or, uh, or maybe just Jake being like, look, we're here. We're at the end of it. This is, this is where we're at. Open warfare. <laughs> 
Um, Jump into thought speed. <clears throat> Friend of the show, Craven Ergeist, a frequent commenter and emailer, um, has a lot to say, and boy do I love uh, reading his opinions because such detail. Wow. Yeah, I would say everybody, everybody needs to jump on reddit.com slash r slash animorphs uh, see our posting for our episode for the Andalite Chronicles and just read the three postings that Craven Urgeist got on there and it's just a great discussion. I mean, he should have a blog or something or join us as a guest host because uh, he has <laughs> a lot. Craven Urgeist, guest co-host. Yeah, because he has a lot to say uh, and some insightful stuff on uh, the Andalite Chronicles and, and pretty much every other episode we've done. Yeah, um, too much to go through here. I'm sorry. I, I love what you're doing, and I want you to keep doing it, and I want you to do it more often. Um, but you know, give it, give us a soundbite version for. for yeah, <laughs> can you put like uh, just just one in parentheses, just three or four yeah, yeah. that we put, can read on the put, air. Put the, the the really good stuff that you want read on air. Put that in, you know, put it in thought speak brackets or whatever, and we'll read that. <laughs> if anyone puts anything in thought speak brackets, we're reading it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Reddit user Matthias Farland says, Yay, I've been waiting for this one. Got into the podcast about two weeks ago, and it started me going back through the series. Can't wait to hear your take on the Andalite Chronicles and its timey-wimey ridiculousness. I appreciate Doctor Who references. We all do. Everyone. So does Matthias Farland. <laughs> And uh, uh, last one that I'll point out is from uh, jrandomhacker172342. It was interesting to hear both of you discuss which Chronicles you like most. I think HBC, Pork with Your Chronicles, is my favorite, and neither of you have read it. I'll definitely be waiting for that episode. Also, I may be biased, but I'm a fan of the intro and Siggy's. Way to go. Um, so this starts a whole thread of people kind of questioning when we're going to read the hork Chronicles. And uh, that's... Um, somebody says it was released right after the David trilogy? That's what they said. I thought it no, was earlier. No, I, I thought it was a little bit later. Oh, really? Okay. Um, basically... Maybe. I'm not too sure. I haven't how, read it, as we've said before, and as we've been doing with Andalite Chronicles and Megamorphs, we're going to read them based on their release date. So we're yes. we're chronologically going through the books based on their releases. That's how we're doing it. And that's how we'll continue to do it until we go crazy and just do a bunch of random episodes. That's Throw an Alternomorphs in there. Some we'll see. <laughs> so that's it for uh, Reddit comments as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it for the show. That's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. Um, I would just like to say, you know, join us next time when we read The Escape. Excellent. Uh, I guess I'm biased already. It's a Marco book. Who isn't biased going It's a this? great Margo book, though. Anything and, that goes way hardcore into him and his mom's relationship. Yeah. Um, as soon as you read the one. back where it's like, there's a wand, she's coming back. You know it's going to be a book that you can't skip. And there's sharks in Lyrons. I mean, I've been making jokes about Lyrons in almost every single episode up to this point. So. Yeah. This um, is where we're at. That's right. It, it took me a while to figure. I, I totally forgot about the Lyrons. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So I have not. So that's next week's episode. Uh, well, as I've mentioned numerous times, I'm already I'm in the middle of reading it. I'm a couple chapters in. Super excited! I'll probably start tomorrow, so that's when I'm going to jump into it. But Good deal. just want to thank everybody for listening. You can find more ways to listen to the show by going to thoughtspeakcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, just like Michael Grant, co-author of the series, has done. Are you following Morphcast. us? Yeah, Michael Ooh. Grant follows us on Twitter. Kay Applegate has not followed us on Twitter yet. 
Open that's coming any day. She's now. she's playing hard to get. She is. We're gonna get her. Um, <laughs> so you can you can join. Make it happen. Make you it happen. Can join fans. Michael Grant and possibly K Applegate by following us on Twitter at Morphcast, or like us on our Facebook. Um, you can also send us your thoughts on an upcoming episode by emailing us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail dot com. It's that's not even our, that hard. It's our website that's our at email. gmail.com. Like, come on, people. We try to make it easy for you. Uh, <laughs> and there, we, like we've done tonight, we will uh, most likely read it on the air, unless it's really annoying or negative. Uh, no, that's not true. We'll read those, too. I, I find those funny. Really. Yeah, I do, too. Finally, reviews on iTunes. We've got 13, and they're excellent reviews. Big no, fans that, of the we have 12. We have 12 stars, um, or starred, five stars. Uh, and... Only about five, I think, actual word reviews, which is kind of sad when you think, we've, we're, I mean, the podcast has been around a little while now, and we've got some pretty decent numbers to report, and I know that we could have more reviews. Here's the thing, five. guys. I know at this point you guys have already checked out. Who knows who's still listening to us at this point? Uh, but we get a substantial number of people listening to this right now. But we're trying to start a revolution to bring Animorphs back. We're, we want more discussion. We want more people talking about it. We want to just spread the word that this series should be taken seriously, and it's awesome, and it needs to come back. So I'm not saying our podcast is going to do that or anything, but literally, if we get featured on iTunes with how many Animorphs fans there are out there, how many of you have joined because you used to read the series or you just want to you know, kind of relive it and everything, I've heard that over and over again by, by listeners. Uh if we get enough reviews on iTunes and they feature us as a new and upcoming podcast, which isn't that hard to do. You just need reviews and you need more people listening in. We go from hundreds of listeners to thousands of listeners just from being featured on iTunes. So that's it's easy a good to deal. Do. It's, not it's, that, it's help that we need. It's not that hard to do. It's just a matter of we need more reviews. So just get if, the hell on there and write a little review. What What's, what's the deal? You don't it's not hard. Do, you don't even need to write a review. Just, I mean, we appreciate the written reviews, and if you write a review, we'll read them uh, on the air. But if you just go there and put a star rating, just go over there, click. I don't even care if you give us one star. Just go there. I do. Don't ruin it. We got we got all five-star reviews right no, now. I know, I know. But I want them to just be honest. I'm, just I'm saying, mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Go on there. <laughs> give us a fair review, whatever you think we deserve. And it might get us featured and get just tons and tons of more Animorphs fans uh, reliving the series alongside of us. So I only want five. It, if somebody gives us anything less than a five star, I'm going to be mad. No, shut you. up. We got to be <laughs> no, fair about I'm, it. No, I'm just saying. I'm not going to be happy. Because of you right now, they're going to give us a four star just to rub it in. Well, uh, great, because I'm going to bitch about it on the next episode if they do. <laughs> this is why we can't be featured, because of because of you, Mitch. I'm just saying, we're five-star material here. We are an adequate podcast. I hope we entertain <laughs> you. Uh, keep coming back, and we'll keep putting these out. So uh, Until next time. Until we need to make an escape. Whoa. I hope the next episode is Escape to Your Work Week. I'm, you know? Oh, God. I gotta <laughs> escape to work tomorrow. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, just like a normal person who works every day. Yes. <laughs> you and me. <laughs> Anyway, so we appreciate you guys listening. And if you're still listening, what are you doing? Are you just waiting for the outro? I mean, it's good, but I mean, why are you still here? I don't get no, it. No, listen. Figure out that Swahili, guys. It's not that hard. I told you what language it is. <laughs> oh, true. 
<laughs> um okay well yeah we hope you guys have a good time and we're we're just we enjoy putting these out we enjoy talking about animorphs we enjoy talking about them with you our listeners i enjoy it so much i want to do it all the time mm-hmm. but uh that's all the time we have for you that's all we got so <laughs> join us next week when we talk about the escape that's it for this week's thought speak my name is colin and my name is mitchell Still Mitch. Oh. Mitchell. Yellow. There's two syllables. Last less syllable, really hard for some people. Have a good night, everybody. On behalf of everyone here at the gardens, we hope you've enjoyed your stay and welcome you to come and see us again soon. Or as they say on the Serengeti, Tafadali Yamtu, Kupata Jambo, Hilienje, Yakichua Yangyu. <laughs> <laughs>